What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Today's episode of the Chase to Must podcast is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Panko Chicken. The new Atlanta restaurant thrives off of a unique spin on Japanese and Western cuisine and is already racking up the awards, winning best-selling taste in the Taste of Atlanta Awards both in 2017 and 2018. So if you're in the metro Atlanta area and are wanting to try something new and good and delicious, Go to Panko Chicken today and tell them that I sent you over. You'll be glad you did, I promise. Panko Chicken, where eats meets West. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Chase Thomas podcast. Another rainy edition. Hopefully. The rain stops at some point in Atlanta, but Carlos Medina is here, and he is driving through that rain very safely, I might uh, add, because <laughs> we talked before, you seemed safe enough to be able to podcast and drive, and that's the dream, right, is to be able to do something else to make the drive in Atlanta these days fun? Listen, all broadcasting from a ninja perspective is how many things can you do while doing the job you're supposed to do, and so I, I pride myself on I'm dealing with one thing. I can do three others. And so, uh, yeah, I, I will pull off to the side of the road in just a moment, but I got to get through this rain. <laughs> How annoyed are you? It's I don't like complaining in general, and I definitely don't like complaining about the rain. But I, I just every morning, it seems like it's raining in Atlanta now. And the we live in Seattle stuff is a joke, but like it's a very adult dad like joke of like, oh, it's like Seattle now. But I, I really do feel like 2018 in Atlanta felt like what most people who live in the Northwest deal with hey. on a yearly basis. Well, Chase, let me tell you this. And this is where you and I are dealing with things on a different level. You're upset about the rain with the commute and everything else. And I get that and I respect it. My standpoint is I have cleaned up all of Christmas and I'm married to like Mrs. Griswold in the house. All of our <laughs> Christmas is put away. But unfortunately... Mm-hmm. All of our outside stuff has to dry out. So I am like the one person, now that we're past January 1 on the street, where I still have all of my Christmas material out because until it dries out, I can't put it away. And every single time it rains, it just means one more day of Christmas stuff out in front of my house. Mm. So you go all out with Christmas decorations and everything. It's not me. It's Again, it's the wife I married. Her well, I mean, you're putting great. it out there, I'm assuming. If you're putting it back in, I'm assuming you're the one setting it up. No, no. In fact, that's the one thing. I will take care of the tree. I will take care of the basement stuff. I will take care of a handful of the lights. But my wife is such a weirdo in terms of making sure that our house looks like the North Pole, that everything still (laughs) looks like the North Pole. Do your kids at least appreciate it? Oh, yeah. They they love it. From that standpoint, uh, they're very excited about how, in fact, I get home and they just tell me, Hey, Dad, Mickey is on his face. I'm like, well, Mickey's filled up with like two inches of rain. So what can I do about it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, hey, kids, uh, little Medinas, be grateful. Exactly. Your parents are going above <laughs> and beyond. 
That's listen right. to this 10 years from now and be like, oh, yeah, you're right. They're bringing you Wild Wing Cafe. They're doing everything. You're going Every- above and beyond. You're killing the parenting stuff. I'm, I'm doing my very best. It's a, I'm living my best life. What is your wing choice? Uh, you know what? I'm a lemon pepper guy, although every now okay. and then I will go with a little bit of the hot. Uh, I'm one of those guys that can only take down about six or eight when it's a little bit hot. I'm, 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 not, I'm lactose intolerant, but I don't have the problem with spicy wings. But every now and then... I will get the heartburn late in the evening. And that, that's another thing. Look forward to that as you get older. Uh, heartburn is a real factor. So I think you're blaming it on that. But I think your heartburn starts from, I've known you for, I think, five years now. Um, I seem to recall a monster a day or a couple <laughs> monsters a day being a part of your daily routine. So I'm going to say that that might be more of it. <laughs> Okay, let me point this out, and, and this is a shameless uh-huh. plug for 680 The Fan here in Atlanta. Uh, we actually so shameless. Have, I used oh, to work for 680. You I know. 680. They're friends of the podcast. I've had Nick Cellini on a lot. No, you can plug away. Okay, well, I'll just tell you this, Chase. So in the last year and a half, we now have a sponsorship with Monster Energy Drinks, and so they fill oh, okay. an entire fridge, you know, all, all set up with Monster every single month with new monsters. So we've had like the Gronk monster. We have the regular monster <laughs> that I'm used to, but essentially mm-hmm. I haven't paid for monster in more than a year and a half. And I'm not a coffee drinker. So this is my only form of caffeine. Uh, yeah. So when you talk about, Oh, you're used to having one a day. Yeah. Push that to like at least two. Oh no. I was being generous just in case your wife was listening because I exactly. feel like if she knew <laughs> how many you used to ingest on a daily basis, um, there would be some concern there. Uh, you know, you know what? I look at it like this. Uh, the insurance mm-hmm. is good. When I pass, right. the, the family will be in, will be in good shape. <laughs> you got a good policy, so it's fine. That's right. Monster it up, man. Um, all right, man. Well, that's, that's good. We caught up a little bit, and now we can talk about even more positive stuff because uh, your football team is, is good again. Uh, they were not good to start the year. They traded for Amari Cooper. Um, the defense was always there. Chris Richard um, turned out to be a huge coordinator win for them. Um, how are you feeling about the Cowboys right now? Uh, concerned only because of this. That game against Seattle, uh, Seattle's a good football team. And if there is a closer matchup in terms of teams that have the same kind of identity, that is happening in Arlington on Saturday night. The, the Seattle Seahawks run the football. The Dallas Cowboys run the football. Seattle doesn't stop the run as well as Dallas, but they do it to a certain extent. But they have Russell Wilson. And Russell Wilson is a ridiculous level talent. He's been an MVP candidate for a reason. Uh, For me, I look at it, and and I know Cowboy fans are always like Super Bowl or bust. I'm the guy that just says, get through the first game. Let's see what happens from there. And the weird part about this NFL playoff, especially in the NFC, there is no such thing as the dominant force. I I know everybody looks at New Orleans and says, wow, look at the record they put together. Look at the kind of team they put together. But to me, the NFL playoffs this year is about a contrast in styles. You know, styles make fights. In terms of what New Orleans struggles with, and same thing with the L.A. Rams, is physical football teams that can run the football and play defense. You have that in Chicago. You have that in Seattle. You have that in Dallas. So whoever gets through this opening round, I don't look at them and say, oh, well, they have no chance in the next round. If you were telling me that the L.A. Rams were playing in New Orleans you know, the following week, I'd say, well, New Orleans is going to win because they, they, this is how they do their thing. But when you're playing a contrasting style in the NFL in a cap league, that can be very different because you can't be all things. This isn't about the 90s where you can be 
everything to everybody. You have to pick out what kind of style you're going to play, and then you pay people accordingly to do it. Yeah, and this... See, it's so weird because I think ultimately the Cowboys learned by trading for Amari Cooper, giving up a first-round pick um, for him, is that, look, Dak is in that middle tier, and this is something that a lot of franchises have to deal with, is that like Andy Dalton's of the world, the Kirk Cousins, guys like that, Alex Smith, you can win with them. You just have to put the, uh, an extreme amount of talent around them to to kind of make up for their shortcomings. Not every team can have a Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers who can do stuff with, face it, with Geronimo Allison. Like, we already saw what Dak was having to do with Cole Beasley, Michael Gallup being a rookie, Terrence Williams, and just a bunch of guys that clearly just uh, Alan Hearns. Y- you just need more. Like, you need more around those guys. Blake Bortles would not have done what he did last year without the amount of talent he had around him. And, you know, I think that's not a problem. And I think the Cowboys kind of learned that. And they they built the defense now with Byron Jones and Leighton Vander Esch. And now they don't even really, like, need Sean Lee, even though it would be nice to have back. Like, I think ultimately this is the best case scenario for what you can do with Dak Prescott in today's NFL. Um, But I think it's a smart thing to be like, okay, we're just going to go get him an underutilized playmaker in Oakland. And we're going to run the offense through Ezekiel Elliott. And then we're just going to put as little on Dak's plate as humanly possible and still win games the way we want to play. And that's kind of, like you said, the same way the Seahawks are playing with great defense, a strong running game, and guys like Doug Baldwin and everybody else and a better offensive line because Tom Cable is not there anymore. Um, it just, it, it is interesting, but I will say I'm going to have to give the edge to uh, Wilson and... Um, Pete Carroll on the coaching front. But at the same time, I think I like the Cowboys in this game. Well, I, I'm not going to fight you, okay? So I, I can't do that through well, the that's phone. that's good. But, but, okay. I will, but, but, I will, but I will say this, and this is the important factor. Dallas, the way they're built, really dates back to about 2013, 2014, where the Dallas Cowboys realized after multiple 8-8 eight and eight seasons that they needed to play defense and they needed to ask less of Tony Romo, not more. Now, Tony Romo, yes. you look at the numbers and the numbers are great, but they realized asking the man to throw 40 passes a game and score 35 points a game was not going to be a winning formula. And so they mm-hmm. really focused on building the offensive line, trying to get better defensively and to run the football. And so what's crazy about everything with Dak Prescott, and he catches a lot of heat, and I, I, I get it. Dak Prescott, since 2016, has more wins in the NFL than Drew Brees. That's a number that people sit back and they're like, no, that can't be right. He has more wins than Drew Brees because Dallas plays a particular style where they ask a physical quarterback, a physical running back, and a physical offensive line to impose their will on the opposing team. Now that they're playing defense, suddenly that Dallas team doesn't have to score 28 points to win a football game. Uh, for, For everyone who looks over at Dallas and says, you know, they, oh, they don't score enough. They're not having to score a lot to win football games. You know, last week was a bit of an aberration. They had to go ahead and score a bunch uh, to, to, to win against the New York Giants. Obviously, they're missing guys on offense and defense. The game didn't matter, but still it worked out in their favor. They want to go into every game and think, if we can score 21 or 24 points, we can win the football game because we're so good defensively. And, and I think that's, that's the big difference right now in the NFL. If you can ask your quarterback, to just take care of the football and win games. Obviously, they're going to have to make a play at some point. But you know, for teams like Chicago or the L.A. Chargers or the Dallas Cowboys, 
or Baltimore for that instance, if you can play good enough defense and score just enough points, you have an opportunity to win right now. Yeah. And it's it's weird because all we've talked about all year is offense, 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 and just what the Rams and the Chiefs were doing at the start of the season and think both of them are not limping into the postseason, but it's just it, they feel more beatable now and just the the dichotomy between like the Ravens, like you mentioned with Martindale and what that defense is doing, putting it all together and Terrell Suggs being in like year 35 and just still being a freak of nature, <laughs> even after like tearing his Achilles. And it's just, I want a 30 for 30 on how Terrell Suggs just is not aging and no injury slows him down whatsoever. But um, yeah, I think it's, it's fascinating. But like, what do you, you seen? I know Byron Jones, if you haven't watched him, is just, he is a freak of nature for this unit. Like he has been a game changer for them. Obviously, Leighton Vander Ash has been a home run. Jalen Smith becoming the player he is, is kind of amazing. I think we're not talking enough about like where we thought he would be after the Notre Dame injury and like what he was having to go through for the next year and a half for him to be where he is, is still pretty remarkable. Um, what have you seen this year that separates this defense from just even like a season ago? It's speed and it's speed and it's size. I I think there's a big difference between some of the defenses in the NFL where you say, Hey guys run well and they get to the football. Dallas does that, but they're doing it with guys that are big. You know, my, my whole thing in the NFL is that this league still comes back to big guys pushing around little guys. And again, you know, when I say that, you know, 6'4", 255, and I'm dealing with a fullback who's 6'3", 220, and I can deal with him. That has been the big thing with the Dallas Cowboys defense. You know, Jalen Smith, for everything that he went through, you know, nerve damage in his knee and having to have that regenerate to the point where he could get his speed back. The speed is now back. Leighton Vanderesh is a guy, as a 6'4", 250-pound linebacker, who can cover from sideline to sideline. It's a big dude to have to deal with. That and along with the Hot Boys. You know, For anybody who hasn't been paying attention to Dallas, the Hot Boys is their defense up front. Demarcus Lawrence is only the start of that. Tyrone Crawford has been able to give him some push inside. David Irving is going to still kind of be uh, remain to see what we're dealing with. And Randy Gregory, a guy you didn't even mention, Randy Gregory has suddenly kind of figured out his life and what he needs to do. That was a guy who was a top 10 guy several years ago who fell in the draft because, simply put, he was self-medicating because of issues with anxiety and everything else. He's kind of figured out where he's at. And so Dallas, they're, they're big and they're fast. And it gives them an opportunity toward that secondary with Byron Jones on the outside at corner. He works out really well there. Safety, it didn't work out last year corner it works out a lot better and 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 Cheeto Awuzie on the other corner he's the lesser of the two players yet he's a really good football player and so that's the thing about Dallas they're playing such good defense that it gives the offense an opportunity to not have to score on every drive yeah and it's it's gonna be fun like I'm I'm very excited to see how this defense handles Seattle it's gonna be like 10 to 7 so I feel like a lot of people are gonna be very annoyed (laughs) about how this game's going to be played. Uh, Brian Schottenheimer and Scott Linehan are going to be in a face-off who can get to 13 first, but um, some people are here for it. It's going to be different. It's going to be a different field than some of the other matchups where it's just going to be a score fest. Like, you know, I think the Eagles-Bears is going to be like that, but I I do, right now, if I had to pick how these two games are going to go in the NFC this weekend, it would be the Eagles winning and the 
the Cowboys winning here. I I, well, I don't like picking road teams anyway. If you look at just the history of just the last couple of years in the NFL, it's just how dominant home teams have been and how crucial it is to have home field advantage. So I think that will obviously play in Dallas's favor, not having to go to Seattle in round one. But um, I don't know. I'm not a Mitch Trubisky believer. I, I'm not there. I, I don't think I can get there. And just this has all the makings of uh, deflating opening weekend and um, for them with Nick Foles coming to town. I, I don't think the Eagles are running the table again, but I think they're going to get one. Well, I would say this. I, I'm a big fan of the advanced stats, the advanced analytics, and mm-hmm. what they say about particular teams. Because if you're only paying attention to you know, total yards or total points, you know, it, it does kind of hurt the, you know, I think the overall view of what a team particularly is. Like you brought up the Chiefs. The Chiefs haven't won a home playoff game since 1994. You also yeah. are talking about a team when it comes uh, to yards per drive. That That's a big stat for me along with points per drive. Yards per drive basically is what is the difference between what I'm getting every single drive versus what the opponent is getting every single drive. The Chiefs are 15th in the league. They're middle of the league because as much as they can get up and down the field, they're also giving up just as many yards down the field. They give you an opportunity mm-hmm. to beat them. Every single team in the NFC has that sort of factor working for them. When it comes to the Bears, in terms of points per drive, they're number two in the NFL. They're only behind the Saints in what they score versus what they give up. As much as you don't believe in Mitchell Trubisky, you got to understand that they're winning because they don't allow you to score. And as long as they get to about 21 or 24, they're going to win that football game because they're so difficult to deal with. Yeah, I mean, they're stacked from top to bottom with Akeem Hicks, obviously, Cleo Mack and Jackson and everybody else in that back <laughs> seven. Like, they're just, they have talent everywhere. Vic Fangio has just done an amazing job with all those guys, and uh, they're good. Um, I just, and you know, another thing that's obviously in their favor, too, is I saw a stat this week that's just amazing that Josh Rosen's still um, walking on his own two feet. Because he had, I think, over like just how different that uh, Arizona Cardinals offensive line that was starting Andre Smith and like Justin Pugh for stretches the season. Um, they had over 200 total pressures on the year for their quarterback, and the Bears led the NFL with like 107. So their offensive line's good. Trubisky's getting time. He can move around if need be. He's super athletic. Although I'm, I'm just so annoyed at the sneaky athletic thing with any white uh player who can move well, around well, even slightly adam thielen man he's sneaky athletic um i just and cole beasley that catch in the back of the end zone uh this week the well, very sneaky athletic play up by cole well, beasley um, well that is the moniker for all all white receivers all white athletes yeah. they remember uh he's like a coach on the field he brings his lunch yeah. pail every day no there's some guys like adam thielen that are just superior athletes there's a reason why when he goes out and runs like four three eight four four Everyone goes, oh, well, he's just sneaky fast. No, he's just fast. Yeah, he's just and like his route running and just like just watching little gifts of that uh, the way he can burst off the line. I'm sure. Have you talked to Finneran about him at all? Yeah. First off, uh, when it comes to Brian Finneran, uh, a guy like Adam Thielen is in a different world athletically. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Uh, Finneran was a guy that basically he won with size. And so he looked yeah. at a guy like that and it's like, wow, you were given gifts that I was never given. But but that is one of the funny things. We do bring up every now and then, you know, the 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 moniker of the white wide receiver. Back when we had Jason Seahorn, the white cornerback, it's always, hey, he wins this way. Well, no, some guys are just really good athletically that are able to beat people off the line of scrimmage or able to do their damage down the field. Yeah, it's just lazy. Um, who do you think is going to be the next offensive coordinator of the Falcons? 
Ah, uh, no, you know what? That's a, that's a million dollar question. And I, I would say this, let me just give you the characteristics of what I believe they're looking for. Once Dan Quinn, the head coach of the Atlanta Falcons decided that he is going to coordinate the defense. I think that team is openly looking for somebody who has head coaching experience, who can handle the offensive side of the football, but can also manage the aspects of what didn't happen in the Super Bowl. Remember, in the Super Bowl, Dan Quinn took over that defense in 2016, and he was inundated with everything that came along with it. In that Super Bowl, Kyle Shanahan is calling plays, and Dan Quinn is on the sideline dealing with the defense. Dan yeah. Quinn, I think if he's engaged in that football game, he turns around and goes, Kyle, run the football. If we run the football three times, we're going to win the football game. I think that's exactly what he's yeah. looking for. He wants to make sure that somebody does have head coaching experience to realize here's what we have to do right now to win this football game. And, and when you're a guy like Kyle Shanahan, as talented as he is, he never had that experience. Dirk Cutter has had it. Mike Malarkey has had it. I, and I think part of what they're looking to do too, Chase, they want to find somebody, if we're talking about the window for Matt Ryan and this group being for about another year or two, they want to find somebody he's comfortable with. And so they're going to talk to everybody around the league. It's a, it's a desirable position to be in. But at the same time, they want to find something where it gives them the best opportunity over the next year or two to win a Super Bowl. See, I'm not sure if it's that desirable. And what I mean by that is, are we sure Dan Quinn is not in like a win-now mode next year? Because like him taking over the defense, him just trust betting on himself. It's kind of like what Gus Malzahn's doing at Auburn, where he hired an OC, but it was a young like the dude he hired is like twenty six years old. Yeah, um, he's still going to call plays. He is betting on himself. He got kind of restricted in who he could hire as assistant, and like there was weird stuff going on with the boosters and everything. Um, I wonder if that's kind of what's happening here. And if you're a established offensive mind, if you're someone like Dirk Cutter or um, just any other offensive coordinator who's available right now. Like if you're Bill Lazor, who I'm all about the laser train. I've been Eric Thompson and Dilly Norseman and I were talking about it last night is that just that Cincy offense, especially, I mean, uh, the, what they were doing when they're healthy and just getting the two seconds or less offense with Tyler, with Andy Dalton, where he's having to get the ball out quickly because that offensive line was not great. And then they traded for Cordy Glenn and he had a little bit more time, but he knew how to utilize what he had. And Bill Lazor, I think has always been good. He did good work with uh, Ryan Tannehill for that one year in Miami. Like he would be someone I would target if I'm Atlanta, but at the same time, I'm not certain any coordinator would want like any established coordinator who is trying to find a place to land where he knows he's going to be around for the next couple of years. Like if you go join Zimmer, you got time. Cause I think he's someone with the amount of talent they've had there. And just, I, I think I'd be more, I'd be okay going there. I'd be okay going to green Bay. I'd be okay going to Cincinnati. I think there are a lot of jobs where I, I think there's more security than taking that job in Atlanta where they might like there's, it wouldn't be all that shocking if Arthur Blank cleaned house next offseason, right? Well, I, I'll give you this example. And the examples are Mike Malarkey, Dirk Cutter, and Kyle Shanahan. Those are the first three offensive coordinators that had Matt Ryan, and all of them went on to head coaching jobs. I still believe Steve yeah. Sar Sarkeesian, somebody is going to take a shot and say, man, you had a really actually pretty good year with the offense. Um, let's go ahead volunteers. and give it a shot. Yeah, I was going to say, that, that, that makes total sense as to why you're going to get an opportunity somewhere else and eventually a head coaching opportunity. The Atlanta Falcons, under Matt Ryan, have been a jumping-off point. If you show up there and you deliver offensively, you get a head coaching job. And, and so that's where I think they're going to be able to handle – they're going to be able to hold that job out there and say, here's the deal. 
you can choose between an offense that's, that's run by Andy Dalton. And again, I love Andy Dalton. The Red Rifle works for me. I, I was, I've been a oh, fan Oh, join me. I'm glad yeah. I have more friends on this island. Okay. I, 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 I am right there. I, I like the Red Rifle. At the same time, if you're telling me to bet my career, I'm going to bet my career on Matt Ryan and Julio Jones and this offense versus me going a different direction. I think that's the big trump card that the Falcons are going to have when it comes to searching for that next offensive coordinator and why people are going to want to listen and want that job. Because when you do well at it, you then get an off, you then get a head coaching job. And I think that's different than a lot of the other uh, jobs that are out there around the league. Okay. Well, who do you ultimately think is going to get it? If you had to bet um, who's going to be the next offensive coordinator, and keep in mind, uh, your answer might really upset Matt Turnoff. So, um, <laughs> I, I, you know what? I, I'm still going to go outside. You know, wh- whoever Coach X is, I think that's going to end up being it. I think, you know, Malarkey was, uh, was a bit of a uh, courtesy interview. I think Dirk Cutter was Malarkey's a legitimate. fine if they do it as a tight end coach. Like the well, Munchak stuff where he went to become the offensive line coach in uh, Pittsburgh, and he, that's obviously been a great thing. Like he's he knows tight ends. That's a good thing. Like if that's the case, then yeah, it's fine, I think. Well, the only reason I think that Mike Malarkey would ever make sense, and this is an overhaul of the entire program, is if you decide we're going back to a physical style of football. Because once they went to the Kyle Shanahan system and the zone running scheme, they were looking for a particular type of lineman that's not exactly yeah. moving people around so much as they're, they're zoning people off. They're the walling Alex Mack people type. Off. Exactly, the Alex Mack type. I, I'm not big, I'm not physically intimidating, but I'm more athletic than you and I'm walling you off. If they decide yeah. to go back to a physical team, then fine. Then that makes a whole lot of sense. You know, Dirk Cutter is kind of that in-between guy. But if they're committed to the zone running scheme, I think that's where we're going to end up seeing Coach X, whoever that X guy is where they go. You got to give me X. Who is it? Who do you think? You have to bet right now. Who is it? Oh, you know what? Call Cliff Kingsbury. Who knows? I mean, it's going to oh. that, that would be something weird on X. I, I still think if you told fun. me like, if, if you told me like circle a name and here's how it's going to be, I, I would lean more towards Dirk Cutter getting an opportunity again because of his relationship with Matt Ryan. But we'll see how it goes. Yeah, and doesn't in Rich McKay is still in this front office? I believe isn't he like the president? And they have a long history. He say. he is the president of the team. But once he went, he was the guy who hired uh, Bobby Petrino, and that basically mm. sealed his fate as a front office executive. He was in charge of getting the new stadium. He's on the competition committee. He holds a very important role within the NFL, and he's very powerful within the Falcons organization. But as far as when in terms in, in terms of putting a team on the field and making hires, he is not connected with this thing. Interesting. Okay. Um, last thing, and then we'll go. Give me your your big NFL draft guy. Give me your, your favorite NFL draft draft prospects you have right now in the first round that you're targeting, and why is it Will Greer should go number one overall? You need to stop that. Uh, I will that, not. I will not leave. Will Greer is actually the best quarterback in this draft island. Okay. Well, I, I will let you die on that island. It, it's it's the you. same kind of thing. You know, years ago, you and I talked about a quarterback out of Cal who ended up going number one, and you were like, yes. you know what? I really don't like him. I was like, you know what? It is a pretty athletic player who's able to put the ball in, into crazy places. Mm-hmm. Jared Goff obviously has proven he can he can play in this league. So I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to you know kind of verbally slap you in the face over, over quarterback <laughs> evaluations on that standpoint. Okay, I mean but I the, also pushed Baker number one. I love Greer. Maybe it's Big Twelve quarterbacks. I I I like what I saw from Will Greer. Like if I did that on one of these quarterbacks not to bust, it would be Will Greer. But I'll tell you this too. I I love Baker Mayfield as well. I was a big Baker Mayfield fan. The the difference in this draft 
is that we don't really have the collection of quarterbacks as we had last year. Last year was the anomaly. Mm-hmm. Last year was the group where you went, okay, there's like four or five guys I can legitimately say, take them in the first round. They can run my program. They should be my guy for the next five years. This draft really doesn't have that. And, and, and so the challenge ends up being, if you're looking for defensive line help, that's where all of it's going to come from. You know, Quinton Williams is still my guy from Alabama just because of the versatility and the power that he has. He's one of my favorite guys to watch. Josh Allen, the outside linebacker from Kentucky, that's another guy that I, I really enjoy. I, I'm, I'm, I'm right now I'm finishing up my NFL offseason guide. Once I start doing the deep dive into the NFL draft stuff, I start getting what I call pet cats, guys that I'm, I'm, I'm cheering for and I want to see do well. Mm. You know, t- two years ago, there was no bigger fan of Patrick Mahomes than me. I, I, I referred okay. to him. I referred to him as Drew Brees and or Drew Brees, excuse me, as Brett Favre in my draft guide. I was like gunslinger. You'll see th- him do things on the field athletically that you can't see other people do. You're going to see a lot of that on the defensive line this year. And so, you know, whether it's a, a Jeffrey Simmons at Mississippi State or a Cleveland Farrell over at Clemson, this draft is a lot like the 2011 draft. That was that was the Cam Newton draft. But when you look beyond it. Everybody who was a top defensive line pick was a player. You can go back to Cameron Jordan at the late part of the draft and say, wow, that's a player that they got in the late 20s. This draft is going to be loaded with defensive line talent and guys with size. Chase, that's the thing. It's different when you're drafting guys and you say, this guy's a defensive end. He's 6'4", 245 pounds, and we hope he gets bigger. Everybody in this draft is already the prerequisite size. You know, the, the inside guys are 300, 315 pounds. The outside guys are at least 260 to 270. This is the most ready defensive line draft since 2011. That's going to be the big factor with this whole deal. Oh, God. The Falcons are going to take another swing at a pass rusher, aren't they? They've got to. I mean, this is a team that no, has No, more corners. No, more corners. This is a passing league. No, Give no, up I... on the Vic Beasley and Tack McKinley and everything else. You have Grady Jarrett and Crawford. They're great. Just keep adding corners. That's what he, uh, they need. All right, so here's your problem with that. There's no guarantee that unless they're ponying up $18 million a year, that Grady Jarrett is going to show up for training camp. Yeah, I think he's oh, a prime candidate for the franchise tag, and then you're going to have to ride that out and figure it out. Took Isaiah Oliver last year in the second round. He's going to be your starter in place of Robert Alford moving forward. Trufant is locked in because of his contract. He's not going anywhere. But the big thing is, remember, this is a team. The, 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 the sack number in the NFL, can I get to 40 sacks? If I get to 40 sacks, I have a legitimate pass rush. This team had seven sacks against the Arizona <laughs> Cardinals and still only recorded 37 sacks on the year. Uh, Vic Beasley had five sacks this year. Tack McKinley, who disappeared for six weeks, had seven this is a group that needs to improve up front and then figure it out on the back end from there. If I'm, if I'm using draft capital, I'm using it on inside defensive tackle help or outside pass rusher help because Vic Beasley is no longer an every down defensive end. That's the way they used him over the course of this That's year. That's being very nice. Yeah. You're being pretty very much. nice right now. Look. <laughs> It's just so sad the way that even people treat him. It's like whenever he did anything good this season, it was like, oh, good for him. It's the same thing with Duke Riley and guys like that. And you're like, oh, no, they're getting a lot of snaps. This is not good. This defense is really bad when uh, they're on the field as much as they are. uh, It's not good. (laughs) Well, when when healthy, it's a more interesting group. But the, the, the problem ends up being is that they were so injured this year. You're asking your defensive, you're asking your top guys, your first round picks to do more. And unfortunately, they couldn't do more. 
you're asking Jalen Richards to play football. He should never be asked to play football. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, there, there was quite a number of guys where you went, "Hey, did you sign him off the street?" Oh God! I mean, that's what they did. <laughs> wasn't he on the Patriots practice squad, and they pulled Another... him, and he was getting some starts? Like yeah. it was, it was bad. That wasn't I mean, the they only got one destroyed on the back end. But it would also be really cool if, like, uh, guys like Marcus Trufant could uh, catch a football. That'd be pretty cool, right? Like if they had corners that knew how to um, catch it. That that'd be nice, right? Uh, Outside of Demonte Kazee in the back end, who love him, and I will keep calling him Demonte Kazee because that is so much more fun than Demonte Kazee. Just I, I love Kazee. That is the way I'm pronouncing it. Once I learned it was not Kazee, I I was just I'm I'm not moving away from it. Well, better, well, but uh, you, he's a player. You, well, you talk about like your love for Baker Mayfield. All right. Oh me yeah. And, me and Kazee and Kazee. Um, I was a huge fan when he was at San Diego State. He led mm. the NCAA in interceptions his senior year. I was a big fan. The only reason he went as late as he did is because he is small. If you're talking about a guy like you know, for instance, Brian Poole. Brian Poole is a restricted free agent. We'll see if they tender him. Gone, we'll see what yeah. they decide to do. That's the thing. KZ moves into that role, and it's perfect for him. Yep. So that, that's one of those things moving forward where when you talk about roster building, hit on those fifth rounders. Hit on those sixth rounders. It gives you an opportunity to move, move away from some guys and to upgrade in other places without spending crazy money. Yeah. All right, man. Well, I think that's everything, right? Ha- I mean, you didn't answer actually who your favorite quarterback is. Who's your favorite quarterback in this class if it's not Will Greer? Uh, you know what? I, I will go it's with Haskins. Has- it's Haskins, yeah. but here's, here's the problem I have with Haskins. You're still has talking 12 to- starts or 13 or whatever now? It, it's a one-year starter, and I think that's why it's legitimate yeah. that he may consider going back to Ohio State because for the most part, we've seen this. You know, let, Let's reference Mitchell Trubisky. Mitch Trubisky had one year of starting experience at North Carolina and was really good that year, but even the Bears realized when he showed up, he needs a year to figure this thing out. Now, if you start two years, three years, your opportunity to get on the field is much faster in the NFL. I think that's what Haskins is weighing out. Do I show up early, head into the draft, get drafted, and maybe sit a year? Or do I spend that year getting better at Ohio State, put up some crazy numbers, and I get to walk in as an instant starter on the next team that drafts me? So I think that ends up being the uh, the big critical feature for him. Yeah. Where can we listen to you? I know you're on Buck and Kincaid a lot now. You're basically the third co-host, and I would really appreciate if they added your name into um, the radio show. So what do I have to do <laughs> to actually add you as a full-time um, a member of Buck and Kincaid? Uh, you know what? Reach out to uh, Scotty McFarlane, our assistant PD, and Jim Mahaney. But, but jokingly, um, I, I've been well taken care of. Essentially, any time from noon to 7 on 6 to the Fan, I will be part of one of those shows between Buck and Kincaid and Chuck and Chernoff. Uh, like I said, um, th- this has been the height of my career. You know, for a guy that started out back in 2001, working in Dallas, working over at 790 The Zone, uh, probably the last four or five years have been the best of my career. And so I'll just uh, keep grinding, keep doing my NFL stuff, to keep doing my college stuff, keep talking a lot about uh, stats and, and, uh, and a lot of uh, uh, salary caps and everything else. We'll just see where it goes from there. And you're doing Twitch stuff now. You're, you're doing what the youth is doing these days you're on twitch well uh, let me tell you los world radio on on twitch um i i will get out there and i i'm predominantly a bad Fortnite player i'm a really good madden player we're we're talking like top two and a half percent of the world i think i'm like 60 games over 500 like 200 and something and 150 whatever you know i i dominate people so anybody who wants to reach out los world radio on madden i will kill you Jesus. 
I will kill you. All right. You will Fire get dominated. Up, you, you, you will quit that football game, just so you know. <laughs> that is the spirit. Oh, my God, Carlos. All right. Carlos is fired up. He's going to do another podcast later. Uh, maybe he'll do – I mean, I think you need to hop on Twitch and blow off some steam after this, man. Oh, my Listen, God. My, my heart rate's not up. I'm just telling people. I'm just being honest. This is what's going to happen. No, you are. Chase, you know what happens when you jump when you jump into the lion cage? The lion eats you. That that's that's basically what happens. Okay, duly noted. Carlos Medina bringing the heat on a late <laughs> on a Thursday. I appreciate it, man. And uh, good luck with everything. And I'm sure we'll talk again soon. It's always fun, Chase. Have a good one, man. All right, we're back on the Chase Must Podcast, and I am now joined by Nick Stellini of The Athletic. Nick, good evening. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm uh, doing pretty good, man. Uh, I'm doing better than a lot of free agents in Major League Baseball. Yeah. Although I was told that uh, this year would be different. Do you remember that story? It was going to be different, yes. Um, um, We all came up with the same strategy at the same time thing. That totally went away just overnight. I I called bullshit on that the first time I saw it, and I, I immediately thought of you and John and all of us just kind of collectively rolling our eyes at the notion that they were going to adjust without rule changes and without the incentive and without being kind of pushed to do so, um, and they have not been pushed to do so, so they're not going to do that. They are going to continue being stingy and continue to operate the way they are until something really drastic comes into the fold and obviously that did not happen and we're back where we started last year i think you can make the case it's worse this year right um maybe 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 um i guess we'll have to see like some of the contracts that end up happening with the big yeah they're still out like, there. like i want to see what keichel gets um yeah i think he's a pretty good bellwether for this sort of stuff um the uh the good but not elite starting pitcher um i mean kikuchi's contract was interesting more so in that it was structured to game the posting system and not necessarily screw him um because what is that 30 days to sign him and didn't he go to like l wasn't the rumor that he was either going to sign with one of the two la teams well the rumor was the rumor was just west coast is what he preferred okay um but like so he's got like three years at a certain value and then there's like an option for like four more years um at a a larger value which is structured that way primarily because like the way the new posting system works is that the team that posts the player, the, the Japanese team that posts the player, um, they get X amount of the money, or or, mm. or, or, or they get you take fifteen percent of what you, the of what the total contract is, and then you also give and then you take that fifteen percent on top of giving it to the player, you give it to the team as co- compensation for posting the player. So um, it's kind of like what MLS is doing when they loan guys back to the Premier League and everybody else, where they get a cut of you taking their player. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not as familiar with the, the uh, soccer loan system, um, but basically, yeah, it's, it's to compensate the team. So the, hmm. the Mariners tacked on a ton of value with that option, and that screws Cebu out of a not inconsequential amount of money. And a Japanese writer I follow was saying like the Lions might race hell over it, which they, frankly they should. Are we sure Jerry Depoto even knows what he's doing at this point? Or is he just like <sighs> signing off on deals because he's like, you know what? This is fun. I got he got bored. 
he was just twiddling his thumbs and was like, you know what? What if I jumped into this? What if I just did this? Why not? Because what are they doing? I don't understand what the Mariners are trying to do right now. So, I mean, in a vacuum, I think it's good that the Mariners are acquiring a good player um, in a vacuum. That- they also shipped out James Paxton and are yeah, that's going the thing. rebuild mode. Like it just, I don't, I don't really understand what they're doing. Yeah, it, it's it's very strange. Um, so like, they've they've been like kind of like going in hard on these like late twenties players. Like Mitch Haniger mm. is twenty six or twenty seven. Kikuchi's twenty seven, and like we're gonna be good and again in a couple of years. Like the party line, which clearly they're not gonna be. But like, so you're expecting your prospects to come up. Your you know non-existent prospects. Except, I was gonna say they have one of the worst farm systems in baseball. I mean, it's gotten better with the trades. But not like great. No, not like oh, they're going to be back in a couple of years. Watch out for Seattle. Yeah, I mean, I mean, like if Kyle Lewis yeah. suddenly gets really healthy, then yeah, maybe. But like, um, yeah, it, it's very odd. Um, like they're saying, like you know, Hanniger is still going to be here when we get when we're good again. I guess Kikuchi fit, fits that timeline too. But again, like you you do that with like guys who are like twenty three, twenty four, not guys who are twenty six, twenty seven. Um, so yeah, here's here's the structure of the Kikuchi deal. Um, he's got 343 to start, and then there's a player option for 2022 that's 13 million. But the Mariners can also preemptively exercise a four year club option that is 66 million dollars, so it would then amount to a seven year 109 uh deal. Um, which for a player of Kikuchi's age and theoretical talent, because like I've seen videos of him, he's fucking nasty, um, that's fine. Um, that that's a great deal. Um, it's structured in a way that screws the Cebu Lions. Um, so I would not be surprised if there is some sort of injunction or grievance, or whatever, filed in, in that out in that regard. Um, but I mean, like, okay, so let's be brutally honest: how many years does contract is Kikuchi going to play in Seattle? Uh, I have no idea. What would you guess? Two or three, maybe. Yeah, like max. Ugh, I don't know. Mm. Um, I mean, I, I don't see anything in here about a no trade clause or anything. So, mm. and I would be shocked if the Mariners ever really hand out a no trade clause. But yeah, I wish he signed with the Angels. They need all the help they can. I and- am surprised they didn't pony up like hell for him. Right. That was my thought when I first saw it. I was like, oh, he seems like a natural Angels target. Like, this would make sense. This would be fine. Go do that. Um, And I'd rather do that for what they got for what Seattle got for him instead of what the Angels might give up to get Dallas Keuchel. Like, yeah, I would rather have Kikuchi. Do you think he's going to get that five years? Like, because that's he has Boris now. He fired his old agent. Scott Boris is representing him. I probably wouldn't. Would not give him the five years. I might. um, Okay. I might try to structure it as like four with the vesting or with something like that, um, which you know Boris probably wouldn't go to. But I don't know if anybody's going to give him the fifth year right now. So I mean, his numbers are eerily similar to Patrick Corbin over the last four years, and without the strikeouts, though. Yes. Uh, but <sighs> Corbin, I mean Corbin, what did he get? Four from Washington? Yeah, if he got four eighty or something like that. Yeah. I feel like that would be more than fine for Keiko. I would do four. And like if I'm the Angels, I feel better about his aging because 
you've got Anderson because he's a heavy ground ball guy, and you've got you play in a big park with Mike Trout. Um, you got Anderson Simmons and, and David Fletcher is actually pretty good second baseman. I don't know if they're going to upgrade on that position or not. But then you got Jemiah Jones coming out up, up at some point relatively soon, and he can he's apparently a pretty decent second baseman. So you've got a good defensive infield. Um, you're going to have Mike Trout and Joe Adele out there. I mean, I feel good about the defense backing up Keuchel. Um, so, I mean, I would not hesitate to go after Keuchel up on the Angels. I think he fits into the game plan pretty easily. Yeah. I mean, where do you think he ends up ultimately? Because the Braves stuff is always popped up, but the Braves are not doing that. And the Braves are... I, it's not going to be Keiko. They're not going to give up a five-year deal. They're too cheap. That's not happening. Um, but at the same time, they promise like a front-end starter. And I mean, they have Mike fulton who really who was just incredible last year, and he only figures to get better, I think. Um, but at the same time, it's very nerve-wracking to go into a season with him, um, uh, Gossman. Hopefully, he's fine. Well, I think uh, you're going to get a lot of innings of Kyle Wright this year, right? More Soroka, I would assume. He was so good when he was healthy, though. Like, well, the when he's healthy thing like, is, what, is terrifying. Innings? Yeah. And then I mean, he got hurt and then he lost like three miles off his fastball. Right. So, I mean, if he doesn't come back to full form, then, yeah, that's a problem. But I'm still pretty high on Soroka. He's still my favorite. Sure. You know, I, I, pitching I, I, prospect I'm just for the Braves. I'm more more into Kyle, right? Um, but for the Angels, I mean. So right now you've got Matt Harvey, Andrew Heaney, Trevor Cahill, Tyler Skaggs, Jaime Berea, who is not bad. Um, yeah. Phoenix Pena, uh, Otani's not pitching this year. Um, Maybe never again. No, I, I, I would think he comes back at some point. Okay. Um, I mean, they've got a not inconsequential amount of depth down there. I would imagine you see Griffin Canning at some point this year, um, and he figures to be pretty good. Um, so you assume you get like 100 innings of Canning maybe. Um, I can see them trying to trade for Stroman. Stroman's a guy who makes sense for them, and they have the currency to do it. He had the bad year. You could take advantage of his down year. What was his ERA? I think it was like five. It was ugly. This year. Yeah. So down year, but he was also on a bad team, and I just don't – I think last year is more likely to be an outlier than who he really is at this point. And I think that's like the perfect buy, buy low guy. Yeah, I don't think he's an ace or anything, but I think he's a good pitcher. Um, yeah. I mean, they're not getting an ace. Like, that's not happening. They need to kind of uh, adjust. They just need guys with pulses who can throw the ball. Right. Guys who can stay healthy and give them innings. Um, so let's say you put Keuchel in that rotation. Then you get Keuchel, Harvey, uh, Cahill, Boreas, Skaggs, whatever. Um, I, I like Stroman for them. Uh, who's all, Who else is out there still? Let's Are see. Are you getting a major? I mean, Grinky is still kind of They're not there, trading right? for Zach Grinky. Okay. I mean, he's been in LA before. They're not. They're not trading for with the money. Um, well, I mean, the Diamondbacks are gonna have to eat a lot. If the Diamondbacks eat a substantial amount of money, then yeah, they could. But I, I mean, are we really doubting the Diamondbacks going the cheap route of just getting off the contract, even if it means taking some dead money from Zach Green? Yeah, maybe. I mean, that, that's definitely they're a possibility. About to be Robbie Ray, like they're going full terror. I, I would go if I'm if I'm the Angels. I mean, I would ask about Robbie Ray first, and then I would talk to them about the money mm. and Granky. But. Um, I mean, there's the do you buy Edwin Jackson's miracle season question. Do you say, hmm, the Orioles don't know what to do with pitchers. Do we take a flyer on Chris Tillman? Um, Jeremy Hellickson is a guy who can throw the ball. Oh, God. Gio Gonzalez, maybe? Gio. Yeah, Gio's out there. Um, 
you at least know you're getting a lot of innings. Yeah. Like, he was not great last year, but he was also like, he's a solid four or five. Yeah. Like, if, it just depends on what you're looking for and what your expectations are. Like those are a lot of guys that I would do like one or two year deal. Yeah. Like a one year deal on geo is perfect. There's the, was the uh, Wade Miley Renaissance real question. Um, mm-hmm. it, it gets very brewers very quickly. Sunny gray, maybe. Yeah. Like there's sunny gray. Like I, I would, I would be in on sunny gray from the angels. Um, do you think a lot of teams are in on him? What do you make of all the, like the Brewers? Yeah, stuff, it's weird, man. Like, I think like, so like Cashman's been like very vocal about wanting to get Sonny Gray the hell off his roster, um, which I always found very strange. Um, and then like nothing's happened yet because I mean, there's this weird question of, okay, who is Sonny Gray? Because he was really good for a few years, came to New York and just pooped his pants. Um, but at the same time, if you're the Yankees, you're like, okay, Sonny Gray was a really good pitcher at one point. We want him bank something off of that and you know in the event we're trading you a number two starter we'd like something back for that um so it's a very weird question and then you like there's a map there's a question of leverage because again cashman has openly stated he has no intention of having sunny gray on his roster come opening day but again sunny gray was good at one point so and he's still a relatively young guy too so yeah um that's a very weird situation um, I would expect him. Well, he also can't be in the rotation anymore. Like he'd be the number six guy if they kept him around. Yeah. Um, so I would imagine this gets resolved in one way or another before spring training convenes because it'd be really, really awkward to have him walk into camp after those comments were made. Um, so, I mean, pitchers and catchers usually report around Valentine's Day. So something probably done by that point. Well, with the current free agent climate, you never know. Um, I don't think that the free agent climate is something that would be holding up on Sonny Gray's trade. Well, more of like teams are going to like, that's like the last thing when Keiko signs, when Robbie Ray gets traded, when like Gio gets signed, when all the like remaining intriguing free agents get signed, then you kind of go, okay, we got to get somebody in there. Yeah. I would imagine like maybe it happens after Keiko signs. Um, Right. Like it's a, he's going to be one of those guys where teams start calling more once they're really thin on options in free agency. Yeah. Um, and I, I think somebody's going to get a pretty good pitcher in that trade. Okay. I hope he doesn't go to Cincinnati because, I mean, that's like I, a bad maybe Cincinnati him. is like the f- former New York good pitcher rehab center uh, with Matt Harvey that, kind of being okay there. That's the bad um, place for pitchers, though. It is. It's, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know what to tell you, but I know Homer Bailey's making a lot of money in Cincinnati this year. Homer Bailey's making a lot of money to sell on his couch this year. Exactly. Because he is living his best no, life. Didn't, wasn't he in the Puig trade? What, oh, was he? Yeah, he I thought, was. I thought he, he was, was in the Puig trade and the Dodgers immediately cut him. Right. He was. Because that's Man, how, that was that's a weird how trade. he trades that feels like We just trade dead money and cut players. It's a great business strategy, right? Yeah. Makes you feel good. Love, love to have my favorite sport be a pyramid scheme. <laughs> I love to just uh, believe that things are going to change without actually doing anything to make said things change. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, well, maybe it'll change. People might do the right thing. Um, no, it uh, is not what's happening there. Do you think Manny Machado still confident he's going to New York or where do you think? He's I going don't going? know. <sighs> do you want him in New York? I've come around to the idea that I think Bryce Harper is a better idea. Um, like I think the two low bylaw was fine. I know that wouldn't preclude me from signing Machado. Um, that that's a perfectly okay move for the minimum. Um, 
Well, let me ask you this. Would you rather, if you have two choices, sign Machado to a crazy long deal or trade Sonny Gray for Scooter Jeanette? The Reds aren't in the business of trading Scooter Jeanette. I think they are. Why? I th- I mean, the rumor's already out there. But, like, they've clearly decided they're going to have a god-tier offense this year and to, to make up for their lack of pitching. So Jeanette's a pretty big part of that. Um, yeah, I mean, he was awesome last year. He was an MVP candidate. I wouldn't go that far, but... Um, oh, he was in the... I mean, do we need to revisit what the NL MVP pool was last year? Freddie Freeman was leading it for most of the year. Um. And, like, the thing about, like, their second base situations, like, there isn't really a whole lot of immediate options after that. Like, they popped Connor Joe in Rule 5. Uh, Blandino is hurt. He, he got knee surgery. Um, not that he was, like, a guy we were going to run out there at second base every day anyway. Um, Shed Long is in AAA, theoretically, and maybe he comes up at some point this year. Nick Senzel exists. Um, so, I mean, maybe they hand Senzel the job out of straight out of opening day if they trade Jeanette um, or they run Joe out there for a little bit, but um, I don't know. I have a question. Yeah. Who were you? Who would you guess comes to Reds camp more out of shape? Yasiel Puig or Matt Kemp? Matt Kemp. Okay. Yeah. That seems like Puig is always in shape. Okay. Have you seen that guy with the shirt off? Hey, I'm not disagreeing. He's always been in shape. I'm saying getting traded to Cincinnati after being unlost. No, he was like he like immediately changed his Instagram avatar to like him in a red hat. Interesting. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I'm not pretty optimistic about Matt Kemp continuing his career renaissance in Cincinnati. I wouldn't be surprised if Matt Kemp's off the roster by like July. Back to uh, Atlanta. I think they might just straight up cut him. Yeah, I mean that's what I'm saying. After he gets cut, just like back to Atlanta as a platoon guy in right field. With whoever, or you'll get signed to DH right somewhere. Yeah, that wouldn't be bad. But um, so I guess if the Reds were in the trading Scooter Jeanette business, would you prefer that deal over the Machado long-term deal, or no? I mean, no, because Manny Machado okay. is Manny Machado. Yeah. The very important thing like to consider about all this is that it's Machado, not my money. Right? Yeah, it is. It, it is decidedly not my money. So I can do whatever mm-hmm. I want in this scenario. Right. It is interesting what's going on here with the Machado stuff because I don't know who to believe. I do love like teams just hiring people close to him that <laughs> in an effort like what the White Sox have done and um and then you have the like it's just it, I do enjoy that. And then like the 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 thing who is it isn't it Yonder Alonso his is his brother-in-law something like that, that right? yeah. Yeah, and just like little things like that of like galaxy brain GMing, where it's like if we trade for uh, his brother-in-law who he's close to, maybe that will entice him to sign um, with us. But I I will say, just the Machado stuff seems like it's cooled down, and we're not going to get closure anytime soon. Like the Harper stuff is seems like it's going the same way, but I love that it came out like kind of under the radar that he met with the owner of the nationals for five hours over the weekend. Yeah. I love that. I think he's going back to Washington. The, more, I don't know, the longer man. this drags out, I think the more likely it is he returns. I don't know, man. I, they I love him. They do. The owner, loves um, him, I should say him. He loves Davey from my understanding. Um, yeah. he's one of the few Davey Martinez guys in that locker room. Um, I don't know. I just think that 
But I mean, if the money's right, if they give him the years, if they pony up, the owner just no, finally steps be, in and just be, says, "It'll be a matter of the money." Yeah, I mean, I don't think that he has a preference one way or another, except for like he wants to be a god. Yeah. Um, and so I think if the Yankees called up with like comparable money and years, he would go there. Um, I don't think they're going to do that. They're not, which again, yeah. I, I would, if I'm the Yankees, I would go after Harper because I just think it's a better fit. Um, because like right now you got Andahar, you got, I mean, again, Tulo doesn't preclude anybody from doing anything. He's on, a, he's a guy right. on a minimum deal. Um, and he's maybe going to play in 25 games. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, mean, I, I know that there's all the talk of best shape of his life and all that, but oh my god, no, we'll, we'll, we'll see. Braves fans are doing that with Donaldson right now too. Of like, oh, he's gonna like just him at third. I'm like, Camargo's gonna start more games at third than uh, Josh Donaldson for the Braves in 2019. We'll see. That. I would bet. I would bet a lot of money on that. We'll see. Um, okay. yeah. So like, there, there's that. I mean, so I think he's a better fit. I think that the outfield is not a finished product right now because I don't think Brett Gardner should be the everyday left fielder. Um, sad day. End of an era. Yeah. I mean, I it just, it, that doesn't make sense to me. Um, mm-hmm. I wouldn't, maybe they get an outfielder at some point. Like I thought that if they weren't going to do that, they might go explore something like Brantley, um, just to get a left-handed bat in the lineup. Um, that would have been perfect. And Brantley, he would have made a lot of sense there. And Brantley yeah. can theoretically stand in the outfield. Um, and it's not like he signed for a lot. No. Um, that would have been the move. I mean, I guess maybe they're going to try the Clint Frazier thing again. Um, or they just what run. What's the status sca- on that? Because that was bad. The concussion stuff? Yeah, it, it was rough. Um, I mean, apparently. Like, he, are we sure he's going to play? I mean, he's doing baseball activities. Um, okay. He's going to be ready for camp. Um. Scary stuff there. I mean, that or they just run Stanton out there every day in the outfield, which is fine because he's a good defensive outfielder. Um, but then you got somebody, you need somebody to DH. That's not the worst problem to have is that, okay, we're running John Carlos standing out in the outfield every day. Oh, no. Um, you can find somebody to, to take at-bats at the DH spot, whether that's Andahar or Voight or whatever. Um, Do you also believe in Adam Hicks going forward? Aaron Hicks, yeah. Aaron Hicks. I mean, like, Aaron Hicks, He's yeah. the decidedly good player. He was really, really good. But I mean, I guess now it's just it's just weird that he's really good now. It took a while, but he's, he always had the pedigree. Um, yeah. Like this did not come out of nowhere. Like he was a really highly rated prospect at one point. Right. It just took forever for him to put it together. Um, and he did. And he's really good now. Um, yeah. Maybe Byron Buxton, the next Aaron Hicks when he gets to New York <laughs> in 2023. Um, so I think that you, you sign Harper, you, you sit him and judge down and say, listen, when are you guys going to play left field? You're both going to win a ring. Get over it. Um, and that solves itself. Um, and then you figure out the infield as you go. Because then, you, I mean, like, you, I mean, Didi's Tommy John is on his throwing elbow, which is not good. Um, so you don't know what sort of shape he's going to return in. Um, but if he is Didi Gregorius when he gets back, like, that's a guy you kind of want to keep around for a variety of reasons. He's a free agent after the year. But I would be interested in keeping him around if I'm the Yankees, if he's healthy and playable as shortstop still. Um, because he's a really good player. He's a really good hitter. You need that lefty bat in the lineup. Um, and he's highly valued in the clubhouse. He's beloved. Um, he is just a guy you, you want to keep. Um, he's a high character guy who also happens to be really good at baseball. So yeah, I mean, I'd be interested in that. I mean, maybe you sign Machado and you make Miguel Andahar the left fielder or you, Oh, wow. You throw, okay. you play him at first base, or you play John, you play John Carlo in the outfield every day, and Andahar's the DH, 
when when uh, when Didi comes back and Machado slides to third. Um, you figure it out as you go. Um, because you got that to deal with. You got well, okay, is Luke Voigt for real or not? And that's a good problem to have. But if it's a, but if he's not, then okay, who's the first baseman? Um, yeah, there's a lot of moving parts there, and, and a lot of it is a good problem to have outside of Didi needing Tommy John. But yeah, yeah, I don't really. Uh, I I don't know what else they do, but I I do think it's interesting that. They 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 can just go in so many different ways that you outline like depending on how they approach the outfield and the infield and if they get Machado it changes a lot of stuff if they get they sign Harper it changes a lot of stuff I mean they're still these are good, rich people problems that <laughs> obviously yeah are they're, be they're the kind of problems way. you want to have yes um, but it also just wouldn't surprise me at all if they like just signed AJ Pollock out of nowhere um, would you be against it. I don't hate it. Um, Cargo? No, 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 no. No. Um, mm. I mean, who's left? That's about it, man. If you go up and down, like, unless you want to talk yourself into Mr. Negative 0.5 War Carlos Gomez. No. Melky Cabrera? Carlos Gomez. Bring Melky back? Cargo and Gomez in, in New York is asking for trouble. Mm-hmm. John Jay? Uh, Still going to be good at, like, 47 years old? John Jay was low key bad last year. Um, hey man, I I'm a John Jay guy. I I like him, I like him in New York. Nick Markakis? No, no. I don't think you're getting Adam Jones. That was the guy I was looking at. Like maybe you throw yeah. a lot of money at him for one year, or one year or two years. But again, he's right handed. Um, but that's a high character guy to have in your clubhouse. Um. There's not a lot of good options. No, I, I mean unless Marwin Gonzalez, maybe. Yeah, Gonzalez is an interesting idea where he he can kind of play everywhere. Um, he's left. He's a switch hitter, actually. Um, mm-hmm. I'm just wary of the years there because um, he's gonna want like. I mean, he's 30, right? Yeah. So if he's okay. I mean, trade options. Let's think. Bring Curtis Granderson back? No. Okay. I mean, if you're talking about the best clubhouse guy possible. Yeah, but that that, that would be thing. him. But um, yeah, I don't know. There's just not a lot of great options. No, here. they they're gonna have to make a trade if they want to. If they are putting that bind, they're gonna have to go and make a trade. Which yeah. also makes the Braves right field situation interesting too, because those same kind of problems are problems for Atlanta. Because if they don't re-sign Marquez, which then I don't think I'm should. not like AJ Pollock has been the rumored guy, but if they don't get him either, then they're in real trouble. Cause there's just no, like, do you put Austin Riley in right field? Because I would he's not kind of blocked at third. I don't know what you do. It would not surprise me if they try Austin Riley in right field. I mean, if he gets his batting lineup, then great, but, and I think that's what they would try and do. Would be my guess. But then again, AJ Pollock does seem like a brave type guy. He, uh, I mean, it has been the Memberberry tour this offseason for the Braves, making Jeff Francoeur a uh, radio guy full-time, and um, or TV guy, excuse me, and then Brian McCann back in Atlanta, um, just bringing all the hometown guys back. Kimbrell being linked to Atlanta for three years. Man, I would not uh, touch Kimbrell with a 10-foot pole. It would not surprise me at all if Kimbrell was back in Atlanta. I, would, um, I, I want no part of that for what he's going to want. 
yeah, I don't know. His velo yeah, well, and peripherals got weird last year. He was also just not like down the stretch. He was terrifying. If you're a Red Sox fan, like yeah, I mean, like if you look at like his his peripherals, I think he lost movement off the slider. Um, didn't he like lose like, a couple miles an hour off the fastball? Um, mm-hmm. like I would, I would. Yeah. What would you give up for Real Muto if you're Houston? I mean, I wouldn't. Oh, you would not. Okay. Um, I mean, what's their catching? Didn't they bring a catcher in? Um. I mean, their catcher was an all-star last year, wasn't he? Martin Maldonado? Yeah, wasn't he? I don't know. I don't think so. I feel like he was. Like, hold on. Am I like, uh, let's see here. Let's see here. This is good podcast. Oh, they signed Robinson Chirinos. That's what I thought. Okay. Um, Who you can make a backup if you want to. But, like, maybe, like, the Marlins come down off their ass a little bit, like, towards the start of camp and they finally realize they need to make the trade no matter what. Um, and you don't have to give them Kyle Tucker for, 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 uh, for JT real Muto. Do you think they'll do it? If the, if the price comes down, then yeah, why not? Um, yeah, I mean, Chirinos would be a great backup. <laughs> That's a really good backup <laughs> to have. Yeah. I mean, it, um, it wouldn't be a crazy thing, but I would, if they're going to go down, I just, I don't know if I give up, huge prospect capital for real Muto. If you can get it done with like Jordan Alvarez, then I would do it. Okay. Do you think that's ultimately what happens? Uh, I don't know. Like I said, I think that they're going to have to bring the price down to move him because like real Muto's good, but like I'm not giving up the world for him, but I, I just think it's reached a point where like they have to trade him now. I mean, like it's it's reached that point where it's just weird if he's still on the team. But it was also weird that he was the guy that they were keeping long term anyway, and that was like their thing. Is like they're we're not doing a full sell off. We're, we're trading Yelich. We're trading these other guys. But we see JT as part of our future, which is stupid. Keep... Yeah, but like it's just weird for them to change course now. Um, thankfully, he did not have a bad year. So his value is still pretty high, but I don't think they're going to get what they're holding out for. So I, I just, it's a very weird situation for both JT in uh, Miami and this ownership group that um, I don't think as of right now deserves the benefit of the doubt. So I, I don't know. I'm a little nervous. I'm a, a Marlins fan right now outside of the new uniforms, which we haven't talked about. Do you, do you like them? Cause I remember you were very pro goofy looking colors the outfield uh so, so ceramics here's my here's my great big take on the on the new marlins uniforms they're okay, bad i'm ready okay <laughs> all of them no okay let, let me pull them up real quick what they should have just done i, I have distinct back to the florida marlins color scheme and just put an m instead of the f I, I have distinct takes on each of these jerseys perfect okay so give them to me the white one is boring and bad um right. I am a fan of the very, very faint. Oh, let me get like better pictures of this. Um, like they've got like that little bit of pink piping on them. Um, or it's not even pink; it's more like purple. Um, where did we get the damn? Okay. Uh, okay, so the new the 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 home whites. 
I kind of like that reddish pinkish thing that they got going on with the piping on the sleeve and shading on the uh, on the on the lettering. The thing is, the collar is unpiped. It's just plain white, which looks weird. Um, I think it needs more pink. Um, I think they should have gone like like you know like like they think like they like you know like the the Heat City uniforms. Uh, yes. Are you talking about like the Vice ones? Yeah. Those are mm-hmm. awesome. Those are yes. like easily the best uniforms in sports right now. Um, I wouldn't go that far. No, I I I, I, like I, I adore those things. So like the Marlins better kinda... than like the oh I don't even think they're better than the black and white NWO Miami Heat uniforms. LeBron yeah. and Wade. those were good, and even the red ones were good. I, I I enjoyed those Miami unis. They just know how to do uniforms. That's who the Marlins should have called is the Heat uh, uniform makers, whoever that is. So the Marlins kind of like half-assed that. Um, so I like the grays. The grays are fine because they they make the, the the reddish pink pop a little more. Which again, I would have done a lot of that if I'm the, the designer. Um, but again, the collar is unpiped, which looks weird. Um, mm-hmm. But whatever. The black alternates again, not bad because they make the colors pop. But the col- the colors unpiped, and I have qualms about the lettering on the back of the black uniforms. If you pull it up on your computer, so they have the. So the, the lettering on the back for with the, with you get one with you get a jersey with the name and the number on it, which the players are going to wear, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. The number has the um, the uh, the blue. It's outlined in blue and then it's shaded in the pink. The name is not, which is very weird. It's just the blue outline with the black lettering on a black surface, so it looks weird. Um, I don't understand why they didn't also shade the, the, the lettering in pink. Now we get to the blue alternates. The blue alternates are ugly as sin. I know a lot of people <laughs> like them, and I hate them. Um, instead of having Miami off the front, it's just got the N logo on the breast with, with the fish. Um, I sent you the, my favorite that they're apparently going to wear as like a throwback this year, which is what they should wear full time. I think that these things that the ones they released have potential. I just want more. They already had some of the best uniforms in sports. Like the Florida Marlins uniforms were incredible. The pinstripes, the teal, uh, the black, I'm white. Wild like I think they're pop. okay. I'm, I, I never understood the hype on them. Interesting. Okay. I always loved them. They look too much like every other uniform. I like individuality. Um, now, so the blue alternate, like I said, it's got the Marlin M logo on the breast. Um, instead of having Miami off the front, and again, it's got the blue and the blue, black, and pink piping on the the sleeve. Um, again, no piping on the collar, which is weird. But the Marlins logo on the breast is outlined in white, in addition to the pink and blue, which just looks weird. It's so out of place. It they look like spring training jerseys. They look like really bad batting practice spring training jerseys. They don't look like actual like during the year. That's a jerseys. good point. They do kind of look like spring training jerseys. And again, they have this weird thing where you look if you look at the ones with the name on the back, the the number is outlined in white and red, and then the the name is just outlined in white. They don't have the reddish pink on there. Why would you do one but not both? 
You are so upset about this. You hate these uniforms. I hate them not because they're awful. I hate them because they took a good thing and they stopped. They could have made them great, but they just make them blah, which means they're awful. Because that means they didn't do enough and they they stopped. Um, like even so with the like white Central uniforms, look again. The the numbers are outlined in blue and red, in blue and red, and then the the, the names are just outlined in blue. I don't understand. Why would you do that? Why did you not call Nick, Miami Marlins? He could have cleared all this up. Um, so this is my impassioned Mar- new Marlins look take. Um, I, I'm here I, for it. Man. I really get what they were going for, and that's what I was advocating to go for. I wanted them to go for that like 80s nightclub vibe because, yes, obviously, we need a lot mm-hmm. more pink in sports uniforms, in my opinion. Um, mm-hmm. Like more neon colors, more pink. I make sports garish and ugly please not everybody needs to be wearing red and blue um okay because almost all sports teams in america wear some red agree. and blue and too much red sucks. blue and white i would agree yes um which is part of why i love the now old marlins uniforms because they had that orange in them with the yellow and the blue and that looks so good because they were different um yeah also side note when you go to marlins jerseys and i will be shop.com Mm-hmm. The first one, two, the first two named jerseys you see are Jose Fernandez, not a current player. Not great. And then you get a Lewis Brinson jersey. No, sorry, you get oh, a Starline Castro jersey, a Lewis Brinson jersey, mm-hmm. and then in like the seventh row is JT Real Muto. It's not great. No, you actually get a Don Mattingly jersey if you go down far. What? Uh, People buy- Derek like, Dietrich, uh, who's no longer on the team. Mm-hmm. Who very weird? Somebody should pick him up. He's good. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So th- those are my new Marlins uniform takes. Wow, that was great. I appreciate you going above and beyond. It was very genuine, which I think is the most important part of that. Is um, you just wanted to be better. You weren't be- trying to be mean. You wanted the Marlins to. We we I think we all want better uniforms in 2019 that's like one of our resolutions teams stop putting out bad uniforms you don't have to wear be better red and blue you don't have to do that yes unless you're like the braves you have to wear red and blue. they could wear like some sort of like maroon like some like a burnt brick red you know what they should do stop wearing the all blue cap when with their road grace that drives me okay can, nuts. can i give you a Atlanta take on the, the uh the dark blue jerseys yeah, they're not good. They're batting practice jerseys. They're they're spring training jerseys. They are not. I would agree. They're they are I not like them. They are not acceptable for regular season wear. So the one thing I will say is they will always have a just a kind of special place in my heart because Jordan Schaefer's first career at bat was wearing the blue jersey and he had a home run in Philly. That's fine. Mm-hmm. Like I think they're fine for like a once in a blue moon alternate. That's okay. They wear them all the time, and it sucks. One hundred percent, I agree. It's like when the Red Sox were like the. Oh, navy I blue. No, the Red Sox uniforms make me angry because the whites are so good. The the, the grays are amazing. Yes, they're solid. And red the reds tops, and the blues are terrible. the solid red tops and the solid blue tops make me cry. They're awful. We're on the same page here. Can you? I feel like you might need like I, I'm gonna check on you if the Yankees ever introduce like a navy blue alternate they, that they, they wear like on. this blue jersey in spring training which is fine yes 
Okay. But again, that's a spring. It's fine for spring training. It looks good for a spring training setting. If you wear mm. something like that, like I'm not one of those purists. Where, like if the Yankees ever introduce an alternate to the pinstripes, I'm gonna like start a. War. But I mean, if the Cardinals went out with like a solid navy blue top, no, beat. no, oh, no. The only like solid color like that that works is like the Cubs. I like that's the not Cubs true. Blue. Uh, the A's have those gold alternates, which are gorgeous. Oh, I forgot about the gold. The gold are good. And then they oh, introduced and then the, the, Royals, those, uh, Kelly the Green. powder blue Royals. The, they had the Kelly Green tops this year that were really good. Mm. Did you see those? Eh. No, I didn't. Oh, yeah, look them up. Look, 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 look up the Kelly Green A's jerseys. They're, they're amazing. Mm. I mean, everything green and yellow and white. Like, the A's uniforms are always going to look good. Right, yeah. That color scheme's always going to pop. Um, I don't know. But I feel like we could talk about uniforms all day. I did not know you were this much of a uniform enthusiast. I may, if you're going to do something, do it right, enthusiast. Okay. The the reason so the reason do do what, the reason um, the Marlins thing ticked me off so much is because it's a half measure. Mm-hmm. And they could have done so much Maybe. better, but they went the safe route. Like we're going to do something daring and cool with our nightclub ass uniforms, but in a boring country club way because we're owned by Derek Jeter and. That annoys me. Yeah, it's not great. Not great, but who knows? Maybe they'll try again in like four years and they rebrand for the third time in like 10 years. Yeah. They'll they'll take another swing. Nick, this has been great. Is there anything uh, you're writing or having out? Uh, we're recording this on a Thursday night. Is there anything you want to plug before we get out of here? Not at the moment. Okay. All right. Well, follow Delini tweets on twitter that's nick and you can read him at the athletic and a couple other places and you can also listen to him on this podcast because he pops up here every now and then and i appreciate it nick thank you so much for taking the time as always sir no problem thank you for having me on all right he's here he doesn't want to be here but I guess he may kind of like me or he just uh, he picked up the call thinking it was another chase, hoping it was another chase. I don't know. But Derek Montilla of the Steel Cage, Arizona Sports, the um, wh- who are you the mayor of these days? Because uh, that uh, in California, it's dead, right? PWG. Yeah, the, I mean, I'm still the mayor of Reseda, even though PWG moved out of town. So that just right. means that now I'm in charge of like the Denny's health code violations and, you know, mm. the, the muffler shop next to the Howard Johnson and noise complaints in regards to that. But don't think I didn't read what you wrote about the Arizona Cardinals chase Thomas. And I'll never forgive you as long as I live, but we can still talk that, though. I don't know. Some website. Was I don't know. There was podcast.com. There was grammatical errors in it. I know that much. There oh. were grammatical errors. Okay. Yeah. Really? Well, it's all I have to attack you on because I have nothing to really refute what you were saying in that other than you're a bad person and words hurt. I love that we're picking right back up on the me making fun of Arizona sports and you just yeah. because that's how we ended last week. Or the it's last not like podcast. I cover it or anything or it's like part of my life or anything or that I'm a fan that grew up here my entire life. So it also it it, it attacks me on a, both a professional and personal level, but no, it has nothing to do with any of those things. You had your Luis Gonzalez moment in what, 2001? It's like we sold our soul for that moment, Chase. Right. It's like we sold our soul. You know, like if you were like, oh man, I just want to date that girl one time. And the devil was like, 
really? That's all you want? You're like, yeah, just one date. Okay. I mean, there's more I could do for you, but if you want to sell your soul for this one date with this one girl one time in 2001, sure, here. Yeah. And yeah. the shitty thing is they he even like came back around a decade later and was like, Kurt Warner? Could he do oh, it? Don't you go. God. And then James Harrison returned an interception 99 yards. Was it a fumble or an interception? I don't even remember now. It was a fumble. I don't know. I just remember uh, Antonio Holmes had a really big catch in that game. I remember. Ben His feet were out of bounds. His feet were out of bounds. But anyway, mm. let's talk about wrestling, Chase. Yeah, where you could be um, one of the next hires. I mean, you. I know you're still committed to being the mayor of Rosita, but uh, all, e- all Elite Wrestling is hiring. They're hiring Brandy Rhodes as chief branding officer. Cody and the Young Bucks are executives. Goldberg is teasing. He's making the jump. Jericho. Um, this is not being be, like, I'm excited. Like, this is the first wrestling promotion I've been excited about in a very long time. Like, when yes. Impact is good, you're like, okay, cool. Like, they're making strides. But, like, you know they're in 1.1 rating purgatory. Like, there's just a ceiling. You look at Ring of Honor when they have good stuff. It's like, oh, this is this is fun. But this, this is a ceiling. Progress. Evolve. Whoever you're watching. Like, even New Japan, where, like, the ownership stuff is now not great. And how that's being run, it feels like they lost a lot of steam. And you're like, well, there's only so much they can do in the American market. And then... Like, I'm a WCW kid. Like, I grew up on WCW. I think the WWE is better when they have real competition. They just haven't had it. And I'm not saying all the wrestling is going to be real competition, but getting Tony Khan, who follows me on Twitter, by the way. I am one of his 577 followers. What? Yes. That is correct. So he is my guy, and I am backing him in this uh, endeavor because he is... Funneling a hundred million dollars, it's being reported to um, get all elite wrestling off the ground. Like with Time Warner, we might see it on yeah. TBS TNT. Are you kidding yeah, me? There's a lot of crazy, interesting things going on with them, and it's, it's exciting, really, and it's so it's, good to be excited about wrestling for once. Yeah, I mean, it's exciting in the terms that it's like player-owned league in a way. You know that based on what these guys have been through, specifically these guys, right? These are three gentlemen that essentially to a degree have been scorned in their own ways by WWE and have gone on to prove WWE wrong in their assessment of them as far as draws, as far as levels of talent, right? They uh, all three, the Young Bucks and Cody Rhodes were all written off essentially as non-essential, non-needed talent. And WWE made their attempts, I'm sure, to get Cody back. I'm sure they made their attempts at signing the Young Bucks. But these guys have already proven that they can do things their own way. They, they've they done it with All In. There was one at All In where they talked about, like, this. do you want to see this happen more? Do you want to see us do this again? You know, you look at the success of the Jericho cruise. I mean, those two things right there are two things that a lot of people mocked. And there was a lot of joking in the wrestling community about what those events would be and how they would smell and what kind of things would happen there. And it's funny because at the end of the day, they just ended up all being really successful amazing and events investors like that's the and they, they bet on themselves and that was my biggest hold up with all of this it was like them not going to the wwe at the height of their powers and betting on 
themselves to keep this thing running is a huge gamble if they don't have the financial backing. Like if they did not get con, if they did not get what they needed and they don't get this television deal, it's a huge risk. But it is. they landed it. So it's great. Like this all makes sense now. Like this is all good. Right. This all is coming together. Um, there's still a lot of T's to be crossed and I's to be dotted. But I think ultimately them betting on themselves and all in really was like i think we kind of undersold just how insane it was that it was as good as it was like Correct. the set the look everything the presentation everything. the matches like it was even it was even great. when there were even there were comedic spots it was hilarious and better than everything that wwe has done as of late and things that you were like i don't know there was there was times where i'm like oh wow immature adult humor i forgot what it was like to have yeah. this in wrestling right i mean there were just things about it that like you said, it reminds me of finally competition to WWE. That's it's an alluring place for people to land. And there's uh, as much as people believe WWE is signing every you know wrestling talent under the sun. They're they're not. There's lots I mean, of they talent. Signed a lot. Still They've, I mean, they signed a lot of talent over the last year. Like they that's basically fine, destroyed but... Ring of Honor themselves. Yeah, arguably, especially like taking punishment Martinez seems yeah, like, what, so unnecessary. Exactly. Yeah, like They've that was taking a lot that of was guys like, they don't need. They're just gobbling just, up talent to keep them away just, from other promotions. You just punk somebody and then just take their last dollar just because you could. That's like what negotiating that... with Silas Young was just mean. Ha! You know you didn't want him. No, but I'm just saying, like, why would I just can't even imagine why like what is the interest there? Like what I I mean, he's okay, but I I don't know. Like I didn't. You know why? You know why, Chase? I'm going to tell you why. Because when I play Monopoly, people mm. ask me, "Why are you still putting hotels up? You've already won this game." And mm. I say, "Because I want every last dime in your pocket when you land on Baltimore." Yeah, that's why. Because I want all of it. I want all of your monies. I want you to feel the pressure surrounding you. I want you to feel suffocated by the amount of real estate that I own on this board and the way I dominated you in this game before you finally know the end is near. I don't want the game just to be over. We could call it at any point. The minute you started flipping your properties over and mortgaging them, we knew this game was over, but that's not when we stopped. We stopped 45 minutes later when you were finally out of money and you gave me everything in your pockets and I demanded to have your actual alcoholic beverage in real life. That's when we stop playing the game. And I feel like that's where we're at, but it's not the case because there are plenty of indie promotions still out there having success. There's plenty of new stars being generated and it's not like the WWE are there? is ever going to be able to. Sure there is. Okay. Who are the young stars out there right now? Young. And I mean, young, like Adam Cole, Jeff, young, Jeff Cobb, Marco stunt, Jeff Joey Cobb's Janella. Like mid 30s. Come on. Come I'm on. talking about young, like Adam Cole, young, like t- late twenties, like what Ricochet is. Like you have Will Osprey, you have maybe Marty Skrull. I think Adam Hangman Page is the most intriguing to me. I really do think he has star potential. I like him a lot. Um, I'm interested to see how he develops in AEW. But um, if you look across the I, board, I, there's not a lot of I great young talent. But I'm s- there is. There's lots of great talent out there. There's always new great talent being developed. This is a constant like, ridiculous statement that's said by people when it comes to wrestling, like as if the wrestling talent's going to drive up. I'm not, not only that, but WWE... I'm saying it's at a point where like all the best indie talent is old. Eh, no, that's not the case. But PCO okay. is pretty awesome. Um, but I'll say like I love Shane Strickland. He's not old. I love Sammy Guevara. He's not old. I love. I mean, there's lots of guys. I can go on and on and on. Ba- oh god, I, fuck. I love. Bandito I love Phoenix. So, much. so Phoenix is my dude. I think he is like yeah. 
I'm very, very high on Phoenix. I hope he finds a way to AEW if, and out of impact. But um, if, if you if you ask me personally, Pentagon is the greatest wrestler in wrestling right now to me yeah. personally. I love and that just because the guy either. No, you can't. And the fact that they're brothers and the, you know, the, the, the unity between the two of them, the two of them go wherever they're at, they're going to be a huge asset to that company. And right. that's the type of company, right? So not only that, but you have the fact that if AEW is handling stuff the way they are and they are handling things well, they are handling things in a professional manner. You know, there, there was all this, you know, Ryan Satin, for instance, was uncovering like, uh, arenas that followed them and yeah. that they followed back and things like that. Like there's a lot of things there that was being laid. The groundwork was being laid behind the scenes and those little clues came up, but that's because they weren't talking about what they were doing. They were just doing it. Mm -hmm. They were just being about it. They, they weren't, weren't talking about wrestling. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. They're not making all these big promises and teasing all of this stuff. They got all of their ducks in a row before they made the announcement and they made the announcement on January 1st. I personally see a lot of success in, in them. I think they'll be the new Ring of Honor. I think they'll be better than Ring I of Honor. I think there's more Yeah, I was going to say. I think yeah, it Ring of Honor never had this kind of television deal potential. Like, if the, they the get TNT or TBS, like, that is that's huge. huge. It's huge. But the difference here, too, is that the level of talent that they can acquire, the level of connections that yeah. those guys personally have made, not to mention the fact, but how alluring that could be to people that are even in WWE, that their contracts are eventually going to come up. WWE is not going to carry this much talent all the time. Well, and I mean, they're they gonna don't get cut to... guys anymore. There's not like that yearly, like, uh, no, there's not the best that, yeah. future endeavors. Like, right. that's not a but thing the, anymore. They keep everything. The thing is, is these guys have their individual contracts, right? Yeah. And you look at somebody like Cassius Ono, who finally just now is being featured as an NXT you know, as an NXT star, but uh, has I not. Mean, he's being positioned to job to Matt Riddle, but yeah. He's being positioned at least in a way to have a character in NXT he's where at least he really appearing. I think that's all it is right now. Is Cassius Stone yeah. is appearing on TV again? Exactly. But my point, my point being though, is he's a perfect example, right? He's somebody that could be potentially better utilized for a small right. period of time somewhere else that WWE isn't going to utilize him in that way. And if the money is right elsewhere, that's one thing that have been has been really. Um, the the young bucks and Cody Rhodes have been very upfront about is that they're making better money than they would in WWE. And that was just them doing their thing on their own with new Japan and ring of honor. Potentially this could work out to a point where some guys get paid at least very similarly to what they were getting paid in Which WWE huge because that's the biggest trump card triple H has. And that's like, what's going to be so fascinating is the triple H versus Cody and the Young Bucks bidding war over guys and negotiating with certain guys whose contracts are coming up. Like Kevin Owens just signed a new five year deal, so he's not going anywhere. Right. But and don't kid yourself, a lot of these guys that are like UK wrestlers, for instance, aren't on the best deals. And there's yes. been a lot of talk about the those deals. Live guys, I think they all just might collectively leave for AEW. <laughs> I'm just saying the the potential is out there for them to put together a very good roster and a very like mixed roster. Not to mention the fact that Goldberg's in the fold, man. Oh, like, they're that's gonna... nuts. Yeah, that's nuts in itself. But I'm just saying the ability for them to not hold people to contracts and not have to have like like what Impact Wrestling is doing. The reason why Impact Wrestling is having the success they're having as of late, even though it's not in ratings or 
apparently in channel selections because yeah. they're moving to the suit network, mm-hmm. but at least impact is entertaining to watch from a perspective that they have a really good, young, talented roster right now. And the reason why they have that is because they stopped worrying about getting guys to exclusive deals and they're doing talent sharing things with other companies and they're mixing it up, but it's brought in quite a bit of talent to impact that, has really become their main roster now. You know, like we talked about the Lucha Brothers, Brian Cage, John Morrison slash Johnny Impact. Like, uh, more than 50% of their roster is Lucha Underground stars that have now come over to Impact. But, I mean, it's it, it's just saying that they're, they're opening up their doors and they're working with guys in different ways that allows guys to also still go out and make a decent living on their own and appear at Impact Wrestling. That's That's the key, and I think that's something that, AEW could be smart enough to do is not necessarily need to tie guys down, but make, you know, make agreements with other companies like new Japan to have a talent sharing program. If, if AEW could feature guys from new Japan in their, in their roster, like Ishii and, and Okada and people that we don't normally get to see that often here in the States, that's, that's yet another level of success for them. Potentially not to mention the fact they've made contacts and, made relationships with those guys by wrestling in those promotions. So, you know, we're going to see them well. Like that's the other thing is like the one thing triple H cannot do as much as he wants to create his own great indie pipeline, his own vanity project. NXT has been a success for him individually. Like when it's in that bubble, it's fine. But the problem is like triple H can't sell guys on what like AEW. If you bring in someone, if it's up to either one of those two and the money's close, the reason AEW will win every time if the television deal is there and the money is close, is they know that Cody and the Young Bucks will take care of them once they sign. Triple H can only say, I can take care of you for maybe six months, but eventually Vince will get his hands on you. Like, eventually you'll get called up, maybe, and then it's over. Like, there's no development. Like, NXT, like, is just... it, it, It doesn't work still, because ultimately those guys have to get called up to a different creative team, a different personnel group. It's just, like, kind of... It's almost like working for it, it, like being brought up in the Patriot system and then getting like once you're finally groomed and ready to go, having to go play for the Arizona Cardinals, for instance, in 2018. Like it's that same kind of deal where you're just like, what was the point of even spending time developing in this other incubator when I'm I know once I get to the main show, I'm screwed and it's not the same kind of stuff and it's not the same people calling the shots and it's not that there's a disconnect there and Triple H will always have to fight with that is how do you sell guys on their future in this company when he's not the final decision maker and he's not he can't control what happens to Undisputed Era once they move up to the main roster like he it just ultimately still falls on one guy who changes everything and just will change his mind weekly and just decide to announce the Raw Women's Tag Team titles in a random Santa segment. Like, it's just, I don't know how, if the money is close, what other bargaining chip can Triple H really throw out there that's going to beat what AEW can do? You think I'm not going to notice what you said there? I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're I said lost a lot. right over that comment. Shut up. <laughs> anyway, yeah, no. Some of the things you said were right. Were right. Some of the things you said were very hurtful. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, you're, you're right in the aspect that, and that goes back to what I was saying when I say like, it's a player owned league, like that doesn't happen. So to have that in a, a, you know, I mean, there's a a lot of things with money. That is the biggest thing is with finance behind it. Yes. But they, 
proven that they deserve to have that financing behind it. And they've proven that they can put together a show that, that makes money. I mean, one of the craziest things entertaining and not feel like you have to look at your watch when it's like hour two and you're like, Oh my God, Bobby Lashley's on my screen again. Right. Correct. Um, plus, you know, Kenny Omega is going to show up there. Okay. I'm sure they're going to get a lot of NJP W guys because just with that management stuff, like a lot of guys aren't happy reportedly and there, I, I could see a mass exodus of sorts to um, AEW from those guys. And you know that they're close, like Young Bucks and everybody else. You know they've made good relationships with all of those guys. Like Okada was there a couple of times at WrestleMania. And mm-hmm. you know there were a lot of rumors about him signing with WWE. But yeah, this would make a lot more sense, at least for the time being. And and then what the future holds, you know. But I, I don't know. I, I I'm very optimistic about this promotion i think that it is going to have a lot of success i know i have honestly i cody rhodes follows me on twitter and i've chatted with him several times uh and i'll just say cody rhodes is one of the most authentic people i've ever met i'm a podcaster you're a podcaster you understand sometimes when wrestlers don't really want to say a lot of things to us either in an interview or privately because Mm -hmm. they know that information can be public. And some of the way that Cody Rhodes has been very candid with me on his feelings about wrestling for certain promotions and the way that the promoters feel about him and things like that. I've been very surprised about, and he's just a very authentic, good person. Like that's, that's all I can say about him. Him and Drew McIntyre to me are two of the best people I have met that are pro wrestlers. Uh, despite the way that they come across as characters on TV, these are people I feel like with, with, with even with this very little relationship we have would help me out in a jam if I needed them. You know what I mean? Like that's the kind of people they are. They're the kind of people that I think are very hardworking and well-deserving people of the success that they have. But Cody Rhodes is something different. I mean, he just, he has something deep down inside of him to be more than just a cog in the machine, which a lot of WWE wrestlers essentially are, you know, and you're going to have some, right? That's your pitch. If you're AEW, that's it. You know, you're a cog in the machine. Whereas here you can be something else, you know, like just the, just the way that they do things for themselves, just the way that they produce being the elite, just everything that they've done has been, um, very like on one hand, it's very fun. But then on the other hand, it seems very focused. Like they knew they were going to do this the whole time and they, they just took it one step at a time to prove to everybody what they could do. You know, uh, do I think all in can happen like all the time? No, I don't. I don't know if they'll have that success all the time. I do think that they could have several shows per year that would be that, you know, close to that success. Uh, and it depends on the roster and the shows that they put together. I mean, I, I, I definitely think that there is the capability with, with what PWG does and what MLW does. I think there's the possibility for them to put on stellar shows and bring in all sorts of talent and maybe quite possibly be like some of these indie shows like defy in Seattle that kind of just has like wrestlers show up randomly out of nowhere, be around for a little bit, and then they go do their own thing again. I mean, that's kind of exciting about some of these indie promotions that an ongoing televised show doesn't really have is the excitement sometimes of wrestlers just showing up randomly out of nowhere. You know, 
there's a lot of things that they could do that that they could do differently than the way WWE does things. And I think that's going to be a, a big benefit for them as a promotion is that they'll think outside of the box, having been talent that have experienced all the ups and downs of working with a promotion. They know things that they hated and they know things that they loved and they know they liked a certain way of being treated. And going back to what you were saying, they can replicate that treatment and, and treat people that work for AEW in a different way that WWE can ever promise to treat them, you know? Uh, so it'll be interesting to see. Yeah. How many people do you think they sign? Do you think they go balls out to begin or do you think they, it's a gradual picking off of no. everybody else? I, I think, I think it'll be a gradual thing. I think that there'll be some, I think they're pe- going to go the opposite way. I think they're going to go well, aggressive. I, I could see them coming aggressive, at least with a main roster, but I don't think it will be as deep as they'll eventually get to. Yeah. I think that it, initially any show has to start out with a limited roster just based on pay. You know yeah. what I mean? Like you can't be Wrestle Circus, what Wrestle Circus was. Wrestle Circus was putting on shows with like 20 stellar matches with all the top indie talent. I have no idea how they how they did it, but they didn't last. And that's a big thing is if you're going to do something that has longevity, you got to make sure that you're not being the cheesecake factory of wrestling promotions. You got to start out as a, as a local, you know, fine dining place that has a limited menu at first. And then you can expand once you know that you have the resources to do so. But, you know, initially, and, and they do have some terrific resources right now. So I don't think that television deal is like a huge thing. Like you don't want to jump. If you move to like, I don't know what the timeline is for them being on TV, but I I don't imagine like that's when you pack it is like you get as many guys as possible. Even if it's like one appearance contracts, like that kind of stuff, you want to have as much momentum as possible when you make your first appearance, like first impressions matter. And if they have Goldberg and Jericho and Omega and Okada and a bunch of other guys appear on their first episode, that's huge. Like that's a huge thing. Yeah, you're right. And not only is it huge, but it also makes it a place where other people want to be. Right. You know, that's one thing that's hilarious about PWG is considering the size of it, it's it's ridiculous that it's like one of the must be places for independent wrestlers. Like they they like if you're an indie wrestler, you need to wrestle at PWG, especially if you expect to get eyes on you that you've never had on you before. Uh, and considering the size of PWG, it's just amazing that it's become that. It's become that conduit to WWE or bigger and better things. Uh, AEW doesn't feel like that. AEW feels like it's the bigger, better thing. It feels like it's not, maybe not at first, it's not going to be an equivalent, but I feel like it definitely has a potential, like you were saying, to be the WCW. And that's a good thing because we need, we need competition. WWE gets complacent and they get, hold on. They did just bring back the McMahons, the rating savers, the McMahon family. Yeah, things are good, right? Oh, wait, less than how many viewers was it? Uh, another just awful week. But you know what? Triple H did two sweet uh, Finn Balor. So things are good. You're not getting the ratings back immediately. That's for sure. And you're not getting the ratings back without doing like controversial things and having exciting things happen at the end of the show. That's one thing that they're still missing out on is having exciting things that happen at the end of the show that make you say, wow, I need to see what happens next. They just. They haven't figured that out yet. NXT does it on nearly every single episode. 
How is it that almost every single episode of NXT ends with me going, man, I wish I had the next one to watch already? How is that? It's very but bingeable. Rod does like, it. I think it's... part of it's being an hour. I think that's a huge benefit. Sure. So you're left wanting more. Raw, I'm just, I'm just talking about. I'm talking about the end of the show purely. I get what right. you're saying because Raw is like, here's an all-you-can-eat buffet of poor food, and again, you're I'm gonna hungry. Feel sick I'm at the end of it. Food. You're right. not even gonna feel sick. Yeah. Until, like, you don't, you're not even gonna want anymore. You're gonna <laughs> be like, I never want to eat again. You know, but like NXT is like a dope ass app- appetizer that you just get a little bit of. Like, oh man, I wish I had more bacon wrapped jalapeno poppers. But I mean, they Those do are... have some problems like the taping of stuff. Like, so they announce all these call-ups and then they have a televised tag team title match with heavy machinery versus undisputed era. And... Oh, come on. Did you think the heavy machinery was going to beat undisputed no, but era? I mean, part of it is like, we already knew that they were getting called up so they can't win. So it's just one of those uh, things where that kind of stuff but... matters because stakes is the mo- maybe the most important thing in wrestling. It has to feel important and it all has right, to feel... Let's... Like, let's be honest about it. The call-ups were the call of commercials are lame, especially oh, EC3s. Sure. That's really weird. Uh, they picked like three of the greenest people they could pick in Lars, Lacey, and the heavy machinery. People all that honestly I don't think Lacey's green. I think she's pretty uh, established. She's, she's fine. Pretty, I think she might be pretty, okay in the main roster. I think she's I'm just, definitely yeah, I think, be fine. I think she'll succeed, and I think all of them will go to Raw, and EC3 will go to SmackDown, or at least that's the way it should work out. It should work out. EC3, EC3, oh, EC3 should go to Raw. Did you hear what Edge, who Edge compared EC3 to? Who? John Cena. Yes. It was interesting. He's like, he's like a snarky, sociopathic John Cena. I, um... I don't like obviously like, just comparing anyone to John Cena is extremely lazy because, and also just like ridiculous. It's kind of like comparing any long wing who can score is like, could he be the next Kevin Durant? It's like, well, no. Or this guy can be the next Steph Curry. It's like, well, no, those guys are all time Hall of Famers. No. Like, it's just it's really hard to find that next John Cena. It probably won't come for a while. Like those He's, guys rarely uh, pop up. Know, okay. So like, I think the way that he's comparing him to is that EC3 is really, really strong and athletic and he's not, and he's better on the mic. He's built for Vince McMahon's world. Sure. Yeah. He looks like, he looks like a a man action figure, you know, but, but he also has a snarky edge to him that I think today's audience really needs. And it's what's always kind of succeeded in wrestling. It's uh, a little, a little stone cold, a little rebellion in him. And I think that's the big difference between him and someone like John Cena. John Cena is just authentically a good dude. Like that's mm-hmm. what he is. I mean, he's more of a heel on total Bellas than he ever was in real Hold life. On. He is not shape. a heel on total Bellas. He is the oh, baby he, face of the world on total. Bellas. He, he was such a heel at one point. Are you kidding? Like his stuff oh, yeah, with was like Bella evil... the laundry. Do you remember that years ago that's... where like the laundry hamper stuff? Yes. He's incredible. He almost like he wanted to put the dog down because like snapped at his foot. Like Daniel Bryan stuff. Yeah, that's that's heel moves. Those no, are heel moves. Not in the way I'm he did it. Just no, you're describing a bad person. No, John is an insane person, and it's yeah. really compelling, interesting TV. He's he's one of the most intelligent people that has ever worked for WWE. That's mm-hmm. one thing that's vastly underestimated about John Cena. And I think the other thing is is that John Cena is. He strikes me as one of those people that is just so thankful for the opportunity he's been given Mm -hmm. that he is, you know, super willing to do whatever he's told to do. He's very self-aware. I like, okay, like (laughs) I I saw today a video of Batista at WrestleMania 30 
during a press conference mm-hmm. talking to the media and he had this whole thing to say and instead of talking or talking about or reading basically the thing that some WWE writer uh, wrote for him he ostracized the writer and said how the writer should be fired for writing this crap because of how bad it was mm-hmm. and how Batista ever say this stuff and all this and it wasn't even a joke he was legitimately just railing on this guy and all I could think watching it and laughing was like see John Cena would never do that right, right. like that's John Cena John Cena is the consummate you know company also, man Batista's, he's very woke Batista can stay right. oh, he, he, he's so- fine best but like okay so like going back to ec3 Loki, are you actually happy that we're not getting batista triple h at wrestlemania because i am <laughs> that would have been awful i'm so glad <laughs> that that's not a possibility anymore but anyway continue uh, man if that's the old timers match that we have to be the so be it i've seen way this? worse than... no old timers match because they're not good they always got to have the old timers match no they man, don't it's WrestleMania. Yeah, it's WrestleMania. It's going to sell. You don't have to put these on. Like the brand itself is enough. People are going to watch WrestleMania whether or not Batista and Triple H have a match. It reminds me of the Saudi show. It's like they have to have it because what? there's going to be people there that haven't watched wrestling since those guys were in it. So they're doing it for those people. That's what uh, they're doing. It for. Yeah. But I'm with you. And again, I digress though. At least these old timers are in shape and can do stuff versus the old timers we had to watch back in the day. Like are they? Terry Funk. Yes, yes, okay. yes. I didn't want to see old Terry Funk I don't in wrestling match. These guys wrestle. Yeah. I, I anyway, just, no, thank you. But uh, anyway, back to what you were saying. Um, yeah, no, I'm just, I'm just saying. EC3 definitely has the potential to be everything. I think Matt Riddle also has the potential mm. to be everything. Like when I like we talk about guys that Vince loves. Vince loves the UFC background. He yeah. loves people that are charismatic, and he mm. loves really good-looking, athletic guys and that are in good shape. Look at look at that bro. That bro is so freaking ripped. He's like a young lion. It's amazing. Yeah. You know? Like so I could see the two of them having a great amount of success on the roster just because they have kind of both the best the, the best of both worlds. They're gonna appeal to Vince and they're gonna make Vince happy and he's gonna push him, but then they're also gonna have an edge to both of them that is required, especially as a babyface in today's you know, wrestling. Outside of someone like Mustafa Ali who can really do it just with solid athleticism you know there, no there's not a lot of at all like it's and just no people like him. yeah right you're, no one yeah. even talks about the sub-zero Bruce. stuff it's just i don't even know, know what any of that is or what that has to do with his character it looks cool it's just cool that's it's literally cool. it is Mustafa and you know what? just cool but that's the thing is is like do i care that jeff hardy needs to give some deep felt heart deep-hearted reason for his paintings on his face i don't care it's cool, whatever. Uh, you have to explain yourself, man. Do your thing, you know. Why and like, he so, be able to? I've listened to some of these promos. Oh come on, though. But he's, he's oh, but he's tried, and that's he's the thing. very much tried. I don't need it. I don't. No, need I need it. Samoa Joe talking about him, but not uh, him actually trying to. I don't things. need the new day telling me why they eat pancakes. I get it. Pancakes are delicious. That's why you're eating. Mm-hmm. You How know? are you feeling about New Day breaking up again? Because that that report came out this week. I think that if that's the case, it, it, it's it's. The, they've run their course in the in the context that I'm not happy to see them break up, but I'm understanding of it. I feel like I've seen enough New Day, so I wouldn't be upset about them breaking up. And I think that, like Big E, for instance, is a world champion. Yeah. I think absolutely world champion. If it champion. pushes him into a world title feud with Daniel Bryan, then yeah, I'm here for it. Honestly, if it gets to a point where WWE can start taking some of their tremendous black athletes more seriously and not making them all into comedic relief kind of roles, yeah. then 
that right there is a huge benefit. I mean, honestly, I love the new day and I think they're great. I think they're great. Everybody loves them. Whether you're young or old, no matter what color you are, whatever, it doesn't matter. You love the new day. Right. But I can see it from a perspective of some of the things I've heard and some of the things I've, I've read on Twitter. And I, I kind of agree. And I can see how people of color would be a little, uh, impatient with the way, or honestly, frankly, pissed off at the way the WWE kind of makes every credible black athlete kind of into a joke or a mid Carter or whatever. Uh, I know the new day has had a tremendous amount of success and it's not, I, I don't consider them to be that, but at the same well, time too, Velveteen dream. So interesting, right? Is that exactly. I, mean, I wrote about him is like, I think he of anyone in this company right now, top to bottom, there's no one with more upside than Velveteen dream he uh, has Velveteen right. because if it's Velveteen dream on the main roster with that entrance and the purple and everything else, he's going to be a comedic act in a year. Like that's, that's how that and that's go. part of the problem. That's yes. part of the problem. He has right. to be the dream. I mean, if he gets called up as the dream, they let him talk. They let him be himself. They let him wrestle. Like because his physique is insane. He's the young. Like he's one of the only young stars in the company. Everybody else is like thirty eight plus. He is someone you can build around for years. Like he has Hulk Hogan, John Cena upside. He really does. He I agree is with naturally, you 100%. Like he is a freak of nature, yeah. physically character wise everything he is not to mention not to mention we had a chance to see him on that show tough enough where he showed how much love he has for this business when compared to all of these other people that were there for questionable reasons there were so many people that were on that show just to be famous like 20 percent of the contestants on that show were actually people who loved wrestling and were there to be wrestlers even mandy rose isn't one of those oh, you know what who I mean? could have ever foreseen that report coming out this week that uh vince is very high on mandy rose who could have oh, ever seen yeah, vince no. being high on an attractive yeah, right. blonde athlete who right. could have seen that one coming right oh, once God. once he was spending more time around the shows you knew that was coming oh, you know? and i actually like mandy rose but of, of course he likes mandy rose of course, of course, vince of course does. but um dream is also someone you could see on the today show you could see him getting espn love you could see him just getting documentaries you could see he's, him he's one of those guys too that i could see him doing all of that in character the way that macho man would show up yes. on arsenio hall right. and be in character but then also still be very funny and entertaining and not have to be a shtick where he yeah, could like, like the bray wyatt it, stuff where he'll like exactly. be in the, remember those weird interviews well, hold on character hold on awful. yeah wait no hold on though bray wyatt midwife that's a whole other thing. <laughs> that is a whole other Braid Wyatt midwifery gave me so much respect and love for Bray Wyatt that I see that man in a whole new way. God bless the Edge and Christian show. Okay. <laughs> sure. Check that out. If you haven't seen it, watch I the Edge and Christian I have no show. idea what you're talking see about right now. Bray Wyatt as a midwife, he starts his own because the only thing he cares about is the care of females when they're having birth. That's the only thing Bray Wyatt cares about. And uh, it's very weird and hilarious. I think that a lot of the uh, things going on on the network like that are showing how much character and how funny some of these guys can be. I mean, the Good Brothers, Samoa Joe, I've heard that, uh, Bray the, Wyatt, that they've Club? all been... It looks good. And Edwin oh, yeah. Christian has been good season two, by all accounts. I just don't have time. I, I don't have time to just watch any of those shows. Like, I, I can't do it. I, I, I have to binge watch, and usually I do NXT, too. I kind of binge watch it and catch up on it all at once. But uh, I'm excited for the weekend that WWE is bringing here to Phoenix, Arizona, and I'm excited to see NXT again in person as well as oh, all the other. Right. NXT <laughs> Phoenix. What's the card looking like? Uh, I have no idea. Hmm. No clue. 
No clue. Okay. Well, I mean, I know the. I'm excited for Bianca Belair versus uh, Shannon Baszler. I know that's confirmed. Yes. People are going to be hot for that. Bianca Belair is. She is so good. Um, her whips with the hair and everything. She's a good finisher. She's a good worker. Good talker. I like her a lot. Yeah. Uh, she's. She's awesome. And I mean, like, that's the thing that gives me a lot of hope for a lot of stuff coming up. Um, and she's going to take on Shayna Baszler for the, for the women's championship. We're going to have uh, Tommaso Ciampa versus Alistair oh, Black. Black Gargano, yeah. Gargano and Gargano. Um, you know, and I'm sure we're going to get, you know, Velveteen Dream, War Raiders, Nikki Cross, Sane, all that. Well, um, so, now. Oh, eh, not yet. Okay. Not yet. Not yet. I don't know where she would fit on this card, but um, no, I'm just American title. No, I don't. That hasn't really been seen much on TV. When was the last time Ricochet was on TV? It's been a bit, right? Yeah, yeah, it's good. Good point. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Like I said, I watch it all at once, so I'm a little behind. But all I know is is that I'm excited for. I, I love the way that WWE brings the big shows in with the takeover card and all the other shows surrounding it. We're doing a show. So if anybody listening to this is coming into Phoenix, Arizona on Friday night, we actually are going to be doing a live podcast called the ramble before the rumble. Okay. Uh, we're going to be podcasting at Crescent ballroom in downtown Phoenix. And then afterwards, uh, our buddies, mega ran T call and bear ghost are going to be performing. It's a bunch of local musical acts that are absolutely amazing. So, uh, definitely if you're coming into town and you're going to be here on Friday, please come join us. Cause it's going to be a fun time. Uh, tickets start at 10 bucks and you can get them at rumble.thesteelcage.com. I believe rumble.thesteelcage.com. Awesome. Yeah, but Do it's that. Great... If you're going to be in Phoenix, I will not be unless you're planning to fly me out, which would be nope. very nice. And I would, it nope. would make sense. Not after the our... things you said. No, Why? I've said nothing no. but positive things. Yeah, right. We I know what you Phoenix. said. I love it. Arizona yeah. sports. I, I'll, tell, I'll tell you, it's the best time to be out here. And Phoenix is absolutely awesome uh, mm. right now. I mean, honestly, so, uh, speaking as someone who grew up here, uh, it it's the best time to be someone on vacation in downtown Phoenix. There's so many good places to eat and drink now and so much cool stuff to do. Uh, there's a place that opened up right next to me uh, where I can go throw axes. That's okay, amazing. Sure. Yeah, there's a lot of fun things to mm-hmm. do. So uh, I'm just putting it out there. Uh, one of the things we've defended on the steel cage is if you came out for WrestleMania, when they had WrestleMania here, it is much different now. And all of the activities are going to be centrally located in downtown Arizona. Whereas when WrestleMania was here, WrestleMania was way out on the West side at the university of Phoenix stadium, where the Cardinals play, mm-hmm. uh, where you're not allowed anymore. And uh, that, well, to be it was fair, kind are of far the Cardinals from even really playing there anymore. No, that's. True. It feels like they that's... don't actually play anymore. If you're if you're starting Justin Pugh and Andre Smith in your offensive line, are you really playing football at that point? Okay. No. Okay. I'm gonna go now, Chase. I'm just checking. I, I just I want to be clear on I, what constitutes NFL football at this point. I plugged the thing that I was gonna plug, so mm-hmm. we can I can go now. I don't, hey, I, don't. I mean. It's the perfect uh, time to wrap up. Uh, it, this is, should be our thing, is me unfortunately depressing you about the state of Arizona sports as we sign off. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's great. That, yeah. That totally should be our thing. I'm so, so glad that's our thing. Yeah. <laughs> Bye, Derek.
Oh, you're the worst. I'll talk to you later, Chase. And that'll do it for today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. I just want to remind you guys, if you like today's episode and you are subscribed on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, I would really appreciate if you could take a second, leave the show a five-star rating and a review. If uh, you're not an Apple Podcast listener, remember you can find the show on Spotify, TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, uh, Google Play, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Uh, Be sure to check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com where you can access all of my previous episodes and also find all my writing. I'm writing there fairly often. And also follow me on Twitter at Chase underscore Thomas and like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. Thank you for your support and we'll be back in another episode very soon. Thanks, guys. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.